Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, our topic is story building and other misdemeanors. And why do I say that? Because some of the things you guys do is a crime. Arch. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Arch. I love y'all. Just saying. Okay. But seriously, though, we're, we're going to talk about um, challenge environments, uh, inspiration, and... Um, using prompts to inspire you because we're, we're moved. We have the quantum bang going on. We're moving into a new rough trade challenge. And then next year we have the year of the Sentinel. And I want all you got, um, I want all you guys to bring your a game and just show the Sentinel fandom. Our ass. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them to kiss. That's the GFY comes right there. Right for you. Sentinel. <laughs> Fandom. I'm not mad at the whole fandom, but I would like to let that fandom know what they're missing out on because they were mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> it does amuse me that most of the Sentinel fan fiction that gets produced um, on a regular basis comes out of Rough Trade. Yeah, or is connected to someone who is in Rough Trade at some point who continues to write, or. Um, Someone who says they were inspired by reading a story that they read that was produced in Rough Trade. All roads lead to Rough Trade. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is amusing to me because they were not kind. Um, not all of them. Some of them were fantastic. Some of them were great. I made some really good friends in the Sentinel family. Lady Holder among them. Um, but There were those. But anyway, we're going to talk about um, challenges and uh, the quantum bang. is. Um, and Julie got a really interesting um, email today. Do you want to start with that? Sure. And I will so, stop tapping on my shit. You guys need to keep me from tapping because I have to go in and edit it out all over the podcast. Stop tapping. <laughs> um, let me open it back up. Uh, so someone was writing me about Duty of the Living, and they said they love the new story. They said it's a great match for the art. Uh, I wondered if it's work for you to derive inspiration from the art, or if ideas just come to you when you see the picture. Um, and that's got me talking to Kira about the difference between, you know, finding something inspiring and really having inspiration. Because I can look at a lot of things and go, well, that's really inspiring. But it doesn't mean I necessarily have like an idea that downloaded straight into my brain, but I see something in it that, that sparks my creativity. And you know, sometimes I look at an image and it just doesn't do anything for me. So there's nothing inspiring about it. Um, and so, you know, for me that, that image doesn't work or I read a prompt and I go, eh, nothing there. But sometimes I hear a prompt and read a prompt and I go, Oh, I'm, it, and there's, there's that, that germ that there's seed there that is you, that is doing something for your creativity, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a full-blown idea right, th right there at the beginning. And I would say more often than not, it's, it's work. Um, it's, it's sitting down and thinking through it and coming up with ideas and brainstorming and throwing away the bad and keeping the good. And um, the, the plotting for duty of the living was the, the initial plot and honestly the rough draft don't look anything like the world building of the final product. The story gained about 30K in, in the rewrite. Um, I know that feeling very well. Because, and, and the reason was because I didn't feel like I'd done enough with the inspiration for it. I had that wolf looking at me 
it was just staring at me. I had that art. I'm like, this art is so beautiful. The first time I saw it, it was so inspiring. I'm like, I love this. I I want I want this story. I mean, I was there the minute the art claims opened. <laughs> That's mine. That's, That's mine. mine. <laughs> it's my first choice. I was refreshing like a like a mad person, you know, you know, starting at like one minute to the clock, refresh, 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 until that comment section was open and I could claim it because that's the one I wanted. That was the one I found inspiring. But did I have an idea right away? Not not exactly. Well, I have to say that I'm not even someone who's really written much of anything in the Team Wolf fandom. But if I'd been a part of that, it would have been my first choice, too, because it was banging. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, and that art belongs to TK, um, who is not currently in the chat, but might show up later. Great job. Yeah. TK Benjamin did that. And TK Benjamin did another piece of art for the story. It was also beautiful. And if I had been in the mood for Harry Potter, Harry Draco story, I'd have been on all over that one, too. But I, we all know I'm, I'm off that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> But it had a dragon. No in one it. sent her any Harry Potter links. I Please. am serious. Do I'm not my... send her any. Don't send I'm her saving... any. I'm saving myself for Kira. So... <laughs> <laughs> she, you she's... may take that how you will. <laughs> yeah, she's writing Rough Trade in November, so I'm. She's writing Harry Potter in November, so I'm saving myself. <laughs> um, but I just what I had done with the White Wolf initially in that story. And I had plotted something. I plotted something that had a white wolf in it. And there's a lot of there's a lot I took from the art in how I I so I looked at each piece of the art and I decided try to decide what does this doing for me. Like Derek with a beard spoke to me. Derek being older. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice choice with the beard there, TK. Nice choice. So it spoke to a little bit of time having passed. So I wanted to write a little bit, let a little bit older, and and then the the the. The way she'd done the the artwork, it kind of I, the the textures in the in their faces and in the wolf and stuff spoke to like magic and connection to me. So I really wanted to do something with magical world building, but the wolf, I was just the wolf was very felt very incidental to my initial plot, and it felt like the and when I had the rough draft done, the initial rough draft, the wolf felt like the, it was incidental to the story. Like it just didn't, it would, the story would have been the same with or without that wolf. So um, I wasn't happy with that. So I went, I had to do a big edit anyway, because I had Styles turn 18 twice. And I linked his magical maturation to turning 18 in my rough draft, but he actually was 19. <laughs> so I was like, Ugh. I had, so I had a big edit to do. And I thought I need to do something better with this wolf. So if I'm going to do a big edit to fix, you know, my magical world building cock up, I want to I want to do a better job with this element. And I replotted, and that's why the story was more than double. Um, was to fix the magical world building and to really do something better with that thread of the wolf. So. <sighs> I don't know what's happening with your phone twilight, but it's cracking me up. Oh. <laughs> so breaststroke was bacon and carrots? Okay. Was it good, though? Did you like it? She had the sandwich. Oh, she had the sandwich. Oh, okay. She had the I sandwich. Like... And she, I told you it was, it was good. <laughs> I put my secret sandwich in a story, and people are making it. 
Um, but that was because I really, I try really hard to connect to the inspiration or something if I'm taking something as inspiration. Um, and sometimes it is a very, like a little bit of a painful, um, a, a little bit of a painful process of iteration, especially with something novel length, to kind of work the inspiration in a way that I was happy with. And that happens sometimes in, in rough trade challenge too, where like we'll get a challenge and I'll go, I find this idea inspiring, but it doesn't mean I really have a good seed of inspiration yet. You know, it's, it's kind of, and so I, I bounce ideas around. I list things out. What does this make me think of until it just kind of all starts to come together in a way that works. And if I'm not happy with it, I go back to the drawing board. That's, that's just the way I work. Um, but yeah, but I don't, I definitely don't, it's rare that I look at something and, or I hear a challenge and I go, oh yes, this is the story I'm going to tell for that. It's not that instantaneous. It is effort. And I know that people perceive that about your work sometimes is that it's effortless. It's anything but effortless. Right. Um, I spent two weeks plotting all the world which is going to be my harry potter project for november i spent i spent twice that much time plotting my quantum bang for for 2020 um it, i spent at least a month um plotting and um noodling and thinking about unleash your demons before i started writing it so when i say unleash your demons was it practically a year in the making that's no joke I mean, it was, you know, I've been noodling the concept and then I had to write it down and, you know, and then I had to write it and then we had to beta it and betaing 110K is actually quite a lot of effort <laughs> on everybody's part. Yeah. And I did two betas with each with um, Unleash Your Demons. One with one with Lady Holder and one with um, Jilly. So, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, like when it comes to like picture prompts, and um, we um, we've been doing them on Just Right and um, on Thursday vignettes and on the Sunday prompts for Discord. Um, it uh, one of the things I like to do with the picture is pick out themes from it. You know, um, what is what do I see when I look at it? You know, is it magic, justice, um, Roman? You know, what what emotions does it bring out in me? And I write those down, and that is usually the beginning of my brainstorming when it comes to like a picture prompt. Now, I got this actually from Writer's Digest. When I was very young, and I told my parents I wanted to be a writer, um, one of the first things they did for me was get me a subscription <laughs> to Writer's Digest. And in the and in Writer's Digest, they, they used to have these, um, these story prompts, and um, sometimes it would be like a, a, a drawing of, of something, and you would have to write a short story around the drawing, and it was basically teaching you um, scene concepts. And um, one of the first things I would do is I would take take this drawing or this picture that they provided in the magazine and I would I would put down all the words it made me think of. And I've been doing that all my life. 
you know, you look at concepts, you know, you know, um, uh, like in the in the picture that Julie used for her quantum her um every fandom bang, um, the wolf represents uh, a lot of things in her story. Um, the wolf speaks to uh, Derek's condition, um, or his his state of being as a werewolf. It speaks to Styles' magical ability. It speaks to uh, justice. Protection, mm-hmm. um, growth and maturity in adulthood, uh, and you know all these things like coming of age. Mm-hmm. There's um, there are a lot of concepts in um, in her story that are present in the picture if you look for them. So it's really, you know, you did a good job on that. Yeah. And when you're working with visual prompts, sometimes more so. Now, sometimes with the visual prompt, like when Kira does the Thursday vignettes, like she was real clear, you don't have to use both. Or sometimes I think you may even use three images. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to use them all. You can use whatever part of this inspires you, you know, whatever. Um, And so sometimes when I'm working with visual prompts, it's just really important for me to know what the parameters are of the prompt like if i'm working like in a reverse bang you're supposed to be writing a story that is you know based on the art right so i I try to like really assess what this art says to me what it speaks to what vibe is it giving me and then try to write something that that works with with that with that idea with 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 how it speaks to me um and if there are specific elements in the art, I try to draw them in. So like in my Magnum story, like the, she had put diamonds and a boat and Coronas and little, just a bunch, there's a bunch of little images in there. Thank you. There's a bunch of little images in the Magnum one that I tried to incorporate many, as many of those elements as I could into the story so that it just tied in in a subtle way to the images that she thought spoke to Hawaii or and whatever. Um, and um, with... Um, but that, that was a much shorter story. So that, that came in a lot shorter. Whereas Duty of the Living, I knew it was going to be novel length. And so I really wanted to try to incorporate as much of what this art said to me into the story as I could. So that was really, and it was really an iterative process of, and like I said, my first draft, I wasn't happy with it. I was not happy with what I had done with the wolf. And so when, when, you're, when you're edit quote, yeah, I'm making air quotes here. When you're edit increases your story by 150 percent uh that's a rewrite (laughs) (laughs) if you go that's a second draft (laughs) yeah when you go from 20 to 50k you've got a different story so um so that was you know it was it was but it was it was good and i go through the same process when i'm considering um what i'm going to do for a rough trade challenge uh, when I look at, and actually there's a lot of the visual prompts, like especially the Sunday inspiration prompts that I've made notes about. I've got a little tickler file about, you know, on that date, this is what this speaks to me. Here's an idea. It all kind of gets something started, but because especially with visual prompts, I really need to, actually any prompt, I noodle on them for a while. Unless I'm planning to just, you know, write something very short, like a scene, like, you know, two to five K range. I really kind of think about you know, what does this say to me and kind of let the idea, you know, germinate. It's got to, it's got to plant roots. It's got to, so it is work. And 
The same thing happens with the rough trade challenge. The more specific it is, the more time it takes to really process through. Because I try really hard not to phone in my challenges, you know. It's like I'm trying to challenge myself. And so I want to rise to that. And um, now sometimes, like a, a challenge will be announced and I go, oh, my God, I've got a story plotted that fits that. That is rare. Most of the time, it's like I think oh, one of your most unique and uh, you know outstanding efforts in rough trade would be Aliyah Moto. Is oh. that how you said that? Yep. Um, I don't even like Snape, and I was like, "Well, shit! Look what you did, <laughs> <laughs> you asshole!" <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you're not remotely sorry, but you know that's actually you know when when you can take a character that um that I just utterly loathe on a, on a regular basis and make me interested in their story. Okay. <laughs> if you insist. Well, Kira announced a, a Harry Potter challenge, and I was like, hmm, what am I going to do here? And I had three or four stories plotted, actually, for that challenge. And um, so I was actively working on different ideas to try to find something that... Because Harry Potter is one of those fandoms for me that I sort of like, I got I to gotta be really invested in the story I'm telling. Um, to stick with, stick it out and tell, and tell the whole story. Otherwise I just kind of, my interest kind of fizzles. So I was, I was trying to come up with, you know, I was trying to, to get to that idea, that inspiration point that was like, oh, that's the one. And I finally got there with Aliyomoto. And so that's why, um, that was the one I wrote for that. But I really do try to it is it is a process it's sitting down and thinking about it it's talking to it's talking to the bitches and some of my other friends and and just kind of because sometimes it's like i'll have like weirdly i'll have like nothing i'll have nothing until i open my mouth and start to speak and then it's like a different part of my brain gets tripped and i go oh wait a minute, maybe i have an idea I do have an idea <laughs> and it's just like oh oh and it's just been it's kind of percolating back there and then it comes out. So, uh, but it is, like I said, it is rare that I hear a challenge or I see a, an image and it it's a perfect fit for something I've already come up with, you know, a plot or an idea I already have. That's like, I think maybe happened once. Um, usually what it is is what happens and it, it never works. Is I go, oh, well, I've got an idea that's pretty close to that. I could adapt it and, and it'll be okay. And, um, I don't do good with adapting. The adapting, ad adapting backfires on me every single time. So I don't do that anymore. Yeah, if I, I need to have an inspiration that it feels right for that challenge, as opposed to adapting an idea to the challenge. See now, TK Benjamin is in here after we've already praised and moved on. They show up. <laughs> Hello, TK. We're, we're, <laughs> we're mooning. We're, we're mooning over your art again. Yeah, I know. Life is life. Life sucks, man. Sucks, 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 sucks. Um, the tree baby. Yeah, I need to do something with that. Yeah, I. Well, the tree baby thing. I had. You know, the funny thing is, I had written the scene. I had written the scene. Uh, the whole the whole scene where they where the the new nematon comes into existence, and I'd mm -hmm. had the whole thing, where um. 
that, that the old nematon wanted styles to provide the organic matter, right? So I had written that scene without realizing the implications of it. The styles had provided that rowan berry. And then I was finished and I went, oh, Styles just made himself a tree baby. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a magical mom. <laughs> so, and then I was like, do I rework that? And I was like, nah, I'm just going <laughs> to leave in the giant tree baby and I'm just going to thank Kira for it. <laughs> that enormous tree baby I, thing. I, I have an unpublished Teen Wolf work. Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure it's anywhere actually right now. I, I, I think I might have shared an excerpt on Facebook at one time. Did at um, one point in, in MHQ. Yeah, you, you put it where, in MHQ part of it. Where a female styles called Magda, or her name is Magda, um, and Derek time travel. And the Nematon, well, they actually sacrifice themselves on the on the stump of the Nematon, ever how you say that. Um, Just like and that. They, they end up traveling back in time. And when they get back in time, the Nematon is healed and it's a full grown tree. And Magda realizes it's, it's their baby that they're, that her magic and his blood re, you know, reanimated the tree. And now it's their tree baby. So she has to confess to her parents that she made a tree baby with Derek Hale. <laughs> I made a tree baby with Derek. <laughs> And I made them the same age because I I don't I don't play that game. So they're both freshmen in high school. Um, and it's like a day or two before high school starts when they end up traveling back in time. And um, yeah, tree babies just need magic. They just need magic. So, but yeah, after we had we had when when Kira was writing that, we had several tree baby discussions. It, it was it was very entertaining. And and so when I realized that I had 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 you know Styles be the basically give magical contribution as it were, and I knew people would jump to the ejaculation thing, <laughs> but um, that's I tried to spell it very clearly that it was about the berry, the berry, and I really wanted to work with the the whole idea of the new nematon was a mountain ash, so. Um, because mountain ash is so prevalent. And that's one of the few things that's, that they actually did some amount of world building around was mountain ash. No, no, it's fine. I, I've got, a, I've got a few comments about the, about that. So it, I expected I, it. You know, when I read it, I snickered a little. I was like, <laughs> yep. Organic contribution. No styles. You can't, you can't ejaculate on the tree stump. <laughs> you probably wouldn't be the first one who had, but Okay. I'm sure there have been some sex magic rituals, but not around the tree baby. That tree baby is too young. It doesn't right. get any sex magic rituals for at least a hundred years. Right. You gotta be, you gotta be really, you know, you don't want to badly influence the tree baby. Cause it's a very magical tree baby. <laughs> it's a very magical tree baby. There was no molesting underground. No, no, nothing. And definitely no root porn. So, people tentacles. People will go. People will go to tentacle porn if they can. Every single time. Every single time. Humans are so fucked up. <clears throat> but you know, it's actually this is actually a good point. Um, that uh, a lot of times concepts like a tree baby or Claudia being a tree, or um, uh, 
there are concepts that kind of get like, oh, well, that just makes it like a thousand percent sense. I'm going to go use it. Yeah. <laughs> like the whole um, Cabbage Patch Baby thing and, and the Hobbits. Of course mm-hmm. they grow their babies. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course they do. <laughs> Duh. And, and the first time I read Claudia as a tree, I was like, of course. Of course she is. Of course, of course, of course she she's is. a tree. I mean, I'm writing one story that's full on. Claudia's full on a tree. Like, she's alive and she's a tree. Because I just was so into that. I was like, yes. Yep. Claudia, get back, that's my name, get back in your tree. Get back in your... So, but yeah, I mean, the, um, these kinds of concepts, once they kind of, like, infest you, they're they're really difficult to get you know rid of. So you might as well just lean into it. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about headcanon. Headcanon is a powerful thing. And, you know... That's right. Peter and Noah are not banging in front of the tree, baby. There's going to be some restraint. (laughs) (laughs) But so we, anyway, we got to talking about, you know, how do you, I, and I do think, and I've gotten some comments about this kind of thing before is that it seems like it's easy or it's, you know, um, there have been times when ideas have been so fully formed in my brain that plotting and writing was like having water just pour. Mm-hmm. Like small magic was like that when I started working on small magic and I only have one chapter to go on small. Well, maybe two, depending on how that goes, but roughly I have like six plot points left for small magic. It's like, I- it's like, I just had the Battle of the Five Armies and the cleanup left, right? Just the Battle of the Five Armies. She she doesn't like writing action and falling action, so it's the fact that she put her action at the end. <laughs> but I, re- I remember when you were conceiving Small Magic, and you went from kind of talking about it to like we barely saw you for several days, and then you're like, oh, I started something, and you just like fling out like 30k. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, it was like once I got it plotted, it was like I had to write it, and then it was like I surfaced a week later, and I'm like, here you go. And then and then it was like a hundred k, and they were like, are you okay? I'm fine. Here, have some more. Now it's a hundred thirty k. Yeah, she just kept she just kept flinging the story out. I was like, she just be gone, you know? Because and she's usually online a, a, a little more than she was those days. But it was just, has anybody seen Kira today? Nope, not today. <laughs> And then, when she, yeah, she'd, she'd turn up with another 20, 30, 40K. We're like, wow. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I only had the Bell of the Five Armies left. So. Yeah. Just that one little thing. And maybe a couple of marriage ceremonies. I don't know. You know, it'll just depend on how I feel about the falling action. Um, and all that stuff. Well, it could be that you'll be so relieved to have the action over that you'll be jazzed about the falling action. Right? <laughs> Believe me, I, I completely empathize because you know how I feel about writing action, too. I do like the idea of um, Bilbo um, planting his cradle in, in Erebor and, um, and, and Harry being very protective but like also pissed. Like, I cannot believe this dwarf got my, you know, knocked my Ada up. <laughs> <laughs> what? Of course, Harry already knows about the Dwabbit, so it's not really a surprise. He knows that um, his father's carrying a, a heartstone, um, and um, you know Harry's had a lot of adjustment because he's come back to Middle Earth thinking he was going to come back to one thing and came back to another, um, and then he has to deal with Hermione following him when he would have never wanted that for her. Uh, 
because because Arda is very dangerous and it's nothing like the world that she came from. And part of him worries that she'll regret it because she's left behind a world full of knowledge that she'll never get back. And, it, you know, it's so. But yeah, the, 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 there's been like two secret babies in this. I don't even do secret babies, but, you know, they happened. As they do, you know, the first time, I don't, I don't remember what was going on, but one day you said, I think there's going to be a baby in this story. And I was like, did you plot a baby? And you're like, no, I just decided to put in a baby. I'm like, you pants the baby? <laughs> I pants the baby. I pants two babies. But one's not here yet. So I don't think it counts, right? Like, she's just pregnant. <laughs> if it wasn't in your case, if it wasn't in your original plot document, it counts. Um now, his marriage, actually, and maybe was, like, Feely's situation was plotted. Um, but the thing with, with Ragnarok and the baby from Earth was not plotted. <clears throat> she pants the baby, and then she starts pantsing penguins. Who knows what she's going to do next? I totally pants that penguin. I had to go back and shore that shit up. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Honestly, honestly, penguins... That was honestly the best piece of pantsing I've done in, in recent memory. It was great. But I mean, that's what you have to do when you pants in an element or when you change something significantly or whatever. You have to go back and make sure that it, it threads through, which is, you know, and if you're a whip writer, like you put up a chapter at a time, you know, I actually wouldn't let the fact that I'd already posted it get in my way. I would go I would back totally and edit the shit out of that. I'd be like, I changed shit. You should probably go back and read it. It's probably going to piss people off, but you know. You shouldn't be reading whips anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're reading this shit while I post it. I'd be, to <laughs> I'd totally be that asshole writer who would be posting a whip and going, I don't know why you guys are reading whips. You know, you have to reread the whole thing every time anyway, because I'm going back and changing stuff. <laughs> you know, I get, honestly, I, I, have, I have done little nitpick editing on various stories on my site. And I edited a line out of Sentinels of Atlantis thinking no one would notice. And someone did? I want you to know that I get on average at least one email a month about this edited line. Good grief. Wasn't this in the story? And then they were like, did the line word for word. I'm like, Are you bitches, you need to calm down. <laughs> I took it out because I didn't like the tone it set for the scene. I wanted something a little more um serious for the scene and um, Jack made a sarcastic comment in the scene with John that I thought you know in retrospect was out of place and so I changed it because I wanted to change the tone of their relationship early on because it would have impact on um, John's relationship with Jack when he returns to earth considering that Jack is now his father's sentinel so I, you know I, I wanted to I mean there was just something about that exchange that felt hostile in, in in retrospect so i changed it and you apparently i had <laughs> i edited out a, a, a sentence that quite a few people it was their favorite part of that whole episode so okay <laughs> now if those of you who have not noticed will go over to the gathering and read it and try to find the sentence that I took out I will, that. I, I, not I will not remember i will not remember there's not a chance in hell um <laughs> I mean, I like, you I know, like, I might have edited it out before you ever read it. 
It's possible. Even probable. So. Um, I don't. Well, no, that's not true. There was a Sentinels of Atlantis ebook very briefly, not to, to, but that's when I read it. Is when this ebook went up. Mm. So I don't know if it was in that or not. Um, but the um. I mean, I do go back and, like, like you said, change nitpicky things. But if there was something I really didn't like in a story, you know, that was not like a big full-on edit that I could just go in and take out, I would totally do it. So, I mean, I know that work-in-progress writers who put up a chapter at a time, I know that they feel like they can't go back and change stuff because, well, I can't change things. It's already posted. But the thing is, when they make a significant change to, like, their world building or they bring in an element that they really should have foreshadowed in some way, it, 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 it's clunky, it, it feels really clunky. So it's like, well, that just feels tacked on. Um, and that's that's certainly not the way. When I added this extra scene in Finding Atlantis for Avery and um, Sebastian, I had to work hard to find a spot where it fit naturally and didn't stick out and didn't look weird. Um, and I got like four emails about it. Is this new? Was was this was this wasn't in rough trade? <laughs> yeah, honey, it's new. It's okay. <laughs> it, it's part of it's part of the editing process. It's part of the editing process. But but I, I think, think some that, people think that they're not allowed to do that much editing to their rough trade after the fact. That's not true. You edit the fuck out of your rough trade. You do whatever the hell you want with it. That, that's your shit. Actually, all your shit, whether it's been on rough trade or not, if, if, if it's but even if it's posted, if it's been posted for 10 years and you go back, you know what? I really don't like that scene, and you rewrite it, that is your shit. You do what you want. And if you have a reader complaining about it, you tell them to come see me and let them we know have, they can start by kissing my ass. You have double, we have old ladies giving double birds and people telling people to fuck off on YouTube and. <sighs> I mean, most of my, I mean, I, it's not a common for me to add a scene or two when I'm, um, I will say generally the final edit, the final draft, the goal actually typically would be that it would be slightly smaller when you're done, that you're getting rid of unnecessary words that you're, but usually most people get bigger between the rough draft and the, and the first draft, the first real draft, because there's stuff that's missing, you know? Or they go grow by 150%. Um, but I am a plotter, so more often than not, it, it is rare that a, cha- that a story changes significantly from me, from rough trade to actual posting on my site. Because I do yep. plot, and um, it, it's rare for me to pants an element in. But when I pantsed Avery in, it was with my little dog had run away uh, during a storm, and I was really upset. And I thought I wasn't going to get him back because he because he left his collar tangled in the um in the fence, and I didn't have him chipped because he had actually like um, dug a chip out once before, and so I wasn't going to get him back, and I was really upset and sad. So I I wrote myself an emotional support penguin, <laughs> but then my little dog got captured by the pound and went to jail, and I saw him on their website, and I went and got him. I bailed him out of doggy jail. The little convict. He's an ex-con now. <laughs> but prison changed him. He's prison not quite the same as he was. He's a jaded he's a jaded Jack now. He's a jaded little Jack. Yeah. 
but sometimes you do. I mean, sometimes I change things. My rough trade projects. Um, I'm a little bit more careful. I will say I'm a little bit more careful with my rough drafts on rough trade than I am with my sometimes my really awful rough drafts. Sometimes I will just bang out something as fast as I can. And then it's not uncommon for me to have a significant editing bloat getting to the first draft, which is like, you know, as much as sometimes as much as 10 or 15% editing bloat because I'm missing scenes. I don't have the transition smoothed out. The language sometimes a little bit choppy. Um, it, Insert a sex scene here. Yeah, that is, and that definitely has happened. I'm like, yeah, I'll write sex later because I'm just not in the mood, right? Or I'll put something in like, I really need to finish this action scene. <laughs> Here's what happens and move on, right? Because I really just want to get the idea down. And that's kind of a little bit closer to a draft zero. Um, I don't usually do that, but sometimes in my writing, that is not that for nobody to consume, nobody sees but me. But rough, with rough trade, I am trying to get a, like a real rough, you know, solid rough draft up. So I do spend a little bit more time on it making sure that I've got all the plot elements in. and So it's uncommon um, for there to be like new plot elements or anything like that between a rough trap on a rough trade project. Have we talked about what a draft zero is before the, in the podcast? I think it's come up once, but uh, it's, it's not something that I do often, but I don't think we've ever really, we didn't talk about it much. I think we, but I know for me, I think mostly I think the the draft zero is 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 more of a screenwriting thing. But I don't. I guess you might call like um, my initial brainstorming stage a zero draft. I would, yeah, because I've I've seen one of your brainstorm. Well, I've seen one of your plot docs. I would call one of your plot docs a zero draft. Okay, I would personally. That's I'll buy that. It. Um, but zero drafting is it's rough and sometimes it literally is just a very detailed list of plot points because um, especially when you're capturing things like the mood and the emotions and how it affects people and you're like capturing all of that information in with the plot point where like you're really rounding out what's going on it's not really in any kind of narrative style but it it's that's that's definitely like a draft zero. Yeah, um, I mean, I would, I, I call mine a storyboard, and you know, that's just how I've always kind of thought of it. But I guess it, it yeah, I mean, my first plot document is probably a zero draft. Yeah. So I, I, uh, when I zero draft, mine's a little bit more, when I do a draft zero, it's a little bit more than what Kira puts in her plot document, but it's because I actually will do like write whole scenes, but then I just skip like a lot of the narrative or I'll skip explanation or I'll put like, I'll just put in brackets, explain, you know, explain this and this and this, you know, or um, need to give the backstory on this thing that happened, you know, with so-and-so. Um, so my, my zero draft will have big chunks of stuff that's not done. And, because especially if you're getting into any kind of exposition, that I really, you have to be careful when you're writing exposition that you're not giving too much of it, that you're giving it in a way that's interesting, that you're breaking it up around other things that are happening. And so that is, for me, it's slower writing. And if I'm really just trying to get an idea out of my head, I'll just make notes about what all that stuff's going to be and then move on to the next scene and get an outline of the scene gone, you know, bang out the rough of the scene and then put in some notes about write the sex scene. And so it'll be missing a ton of stuff. Now I would never do that for rough trade. So it's a different rough draft process for something that is 
for a project I'm working on, like a like a bang or just an idea that I'm working on, as opposed to um, rough trade, which I do try to get a solid rough draft. So it's unusual for it to change much. Now, Demons was the last big project I think I did on rough trade. I think that I'm editing now or I have been editing and um, that was missing a couple of scenes, which kills me because the chapters were all really long. <laughs> but I noted at the time, I was like, Oh, I forgot to address this thing. I need to plug this in somewhere. So there'll be a couple of like minor things that get added, but I'm trying to add them in, in, in the most streamlined way plot possible so that it's not like making the story even bigger than it is. Um, when I did Unleash Your Demons, I did it in um, a three-arc structure. Because that made the most sense to me, you know, like, construction-wise. So, this is the first, this is, like, the first, I'm, I'm going to show you guys the first ten plot points of um, Unleash Your Demons. From my, from, from my zero draft. And we... We can, can can we copy and paste these images into the link library? Do it right now while you're bringing them in. Okay. And I don't know if I did any major changes to this section when I was writing. I would have to get out my actual plot document that I printed out and wrote on while I was writing because what you see here isn't always. Right. This was the document that I, like you sent me and we, you know, we talked about when you were first in the plotting state, when you were, you were plotted and then we talked about, you know, we talked about it, and then you printed it out and wrote all over it. Yeah. I wrote the hell out of it. I wrote on the back of it, on the front of it. She made changes to order of plot points and what did I do? I did to nine there. So, okay. This will be 12 plot points. So that is the first 12 plot points of Unleash Your Demons. Okay. In my zero draft. Now Kira's plot document is a lot more involved than mine because my plot document is more a list of things that are going to happen. Here are the characters. This is what they're going to be doing. So-and-so needs to do this. I put the ones that are on the critical path. It's a lot more, it, it's very much more like an, um, an outline. An outline. Yeah. It's a lot more like an outline. Whereas Kira's, you can see from her her plot document that she's talking about like mood and tone and what's going on with people. Um, and so it's getting into like the meat of what's going to be happening and, and a little bit scene structure. And um, so it's 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 getting closer to that zero draft idea than it than than what I do when I'm plotting, which is basically a timeline character bios um and and it's all you know it's all very kind of more list like than than this it, unless you're asking me to give you a summary um this my my zero draft or my storyboard as i like to call it comes after character profiles and um any research i have to do so after i've done my character work if i if i have to do any character work and a lot of times in fandom i don't have to do much because i've already done a lot of that already um now in the mcu because i would never written really in the mcu to any significant level i did have to do a lot of research on nebula on her history um i did an mcu timeline 
um, and so I could figure out where I wanted to fuck it up. Because <laughs> you can't break it till you know what it is. Um, and then I had to look at like, uh, okay, they're, they're landing here. What's happened? What has not happened yet? Where's Bruce Banner? Where's S.H.I.E.L.D.? Where are Tony's enemies at, at this point in his life? Where is... Um, how far on the path is Obadiah Stane into betraying Tony? Um, and all these points came into it. It's like characterization. And then after I got all these characterization and timelines done, I, I moved into my storyboard. And immediately after my storyboard is done, I'm ready to write. They might read like chapter summaries, but that's not... Some of them are actually... Uh, that's only like... Um, if you look at Unleash Your Demons, I'm pretty sure those 12 points are just the prologue, chapter 1, and the opening of chapter 2, I believe. But depending upon what's going on or how long a scene is, um, there could be multiple plot points in a scene. Um, or there could be one plot point that takes an entire chapter. Yeah. So it, it just... When it comes to plot points, you know, it's the order of the things that have to the, the things that have to happen to let the next thing happen. And some things just take more words to, to happen. And I can look at my plot document. And um, in fact, when I wrote on it, I even estimated where I would be um, in each section for the arcs. And um, I was pretty much right on the money um, when it came to word count. So, um, you figure these things out when you, um, when, when you write for a long time, this is something just part of your process. You, you learn like, you know, okay, I can do this sex scene in about 800 words or 500 words. This court scene is going to take 10,000 words. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, she's not. She's not kidding. She's not I kidding. I do love a good Harry Potter court scene. Not going to lie. If for I plotted several for my rough trade. For me, a good court scene is two chapters, and that's 10,000 words. She's not kidding <laughs> about the 10K. If once they're in court, I'm fucked on the word count. <laughs> you know, so you have an idea um, of how long it takes you to do something. So you can say, okay, um, I have this, this, and this. This is going to take me this, this. You know, I have 82 plot points based on content. I'm looking at 95 to 110K. Now, another way to look at what Kira did is she told the whole story. Told it. She didn't show it. She told it. And the, for some people, zero draft method is telling the whole story. It's writing a story out as 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 in tell mode, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And if that's an effective way to zero draft for you or to plot for you, go for it, you know? And then but the thing is, I see people put that up as their story. And it's like 10,000 words of he did this and then he did this and then he did this and then everything was fine. That's, I, when I see a 10,000 word zero draft like that, to me, that's a zero draft. Um, that's like a hundred thousand word story. Because once you start showing that stuff, it takes, it takes words. Let me go back in and I'll tell you how many words actually my zero draft for um, Unleash Your Demons was. It was pretty long. It was significant. Um, 7,000. 7,000 words. 18 pages. 
So you could look at you know th that process, and there there are there are as many ways to plot as there are types of writers. You know, so Kara's method or my method may not work for you. Um, my method probably is is entrenched a little bit in a pro my project management background. Um, but I would say my storyboard method is also the same way I tell a story in my head to myself. So those times when I so-called pants, I have the whole document in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I've written I it do. a couple of times, probably. <laughs> I mean, if I do sit down, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start writing from a prompt right this second that I have no idea I'm going to start writing. By the time I've gotten the first 200 words written, I'm 10,000 words ahead in my head. Because I just, that's just the way my brain works with it. I can't just literally not know where I'm going. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, now, some people do have other steps. Um, Ellie mentions that she has a scene breakdown with a projected POV for the scene. And if that, if those kinds of steps help you, if they're beneficial to your process, you should, you know, definitely put them in, do them. I, scene maps, I've tried them. They don't, they don't work in my process at all because what happens with an I've seen map is I start overtelling the story to myself and then I'm not interested in writing the story anymore. Cause once I'm fully entertained and I, it's fully realized in my own brain, I'm, I'm my interest. I'm yeah. done. So I have to be very careful not to go so far into the plotting process, which is why I use more list approach than the zero draft approach that Kira does for plotting. Um, because I'll just lose interest in writing the story. Um, it, for me, um, scene mapping is um, too restrictive. I like to give myself a little room to pants a penguin. <laughs> and if I do a um, if I do a scene map, um, I've boxed myself in, yeah. and there won't be any pants to penguins, which would be sad and unfortunate. And there are no penguins and we are sad. Uh, <laughs> but when it comes to length, I, I agree with some, some of the comments in the chat. Uh, length is a factor in, in what process I use because the longer it is, the more I need process, the more I need stuff. Um, with something that I'm planning to be 10,000 words or less, I can sit down with a one or two paragraph summary of what the story is going to be about mm -hmm. and a couple of ideas and that's all I need. I don't need yeah. to actually write up a whole plot document to write 10K. Um, no, for me, I mean, I can just do a little thing in my head. Like, you know, those little plot points, you know, with the little the, the fluff bingo. I haven't actually physically plotted those on paper. I just, like, put them together in my head and, you know, kind of rearrange it until it works for me. Then I write it. Right. Right. That's that's basically what I do, too. Sometimes, sometimes I'll get an idea, like, when I'm half asleep. And those I write down because if I'm half asleep when an idea comes to me, I will not remember it in the morning this has happened over and over and over again. It's like, it just falls right out of my brain. It's like, I knew I had a really good idea for how to resolve this last night, but I forgot. Um, for me, um, scene mapping um, provides me too much structure. And the way my OCD works, the more structure I have, the more restricted I am on myself. So yeah, I've more. learned over time that for me, the zero draft or my storyboard is as far as I need to go. Because if I go any further, I'm going to box myself in and then I'm going to feel trapped and it's going to be weird and I don't want to write it anymore. Yeah. Because you're going to feel like you have to stick to it. You, you, you've, you've made the box. It's like, well, I made this box. I have to live with it. Right. Um, 
So I don't, it, I don't, I no longer even build that box. It's so, it's, <laughs> that's kind of depressing, but some people do really well giving themselves that box. And if that is you, you should definitely do it. That's why we've talked about over and over and over again. You got to find what works for you. Try things, try new things and see what it's like. Um, I'm always willing to try a new method, right? And some methods I try and I go, no, 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 no. Um, and some things I go, well, that was interesting. I might find an application for that, but not in this particular story, you know, because you do different things for different types of story, different lengths. Um, you know, I, I sometimes you need a little bit more structure if you're writing something that takes place in four different locations. Or um, if you've got time travel, because you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of, you know, ripples to account for that you have, you know, different moving parts you got to keep track of. And uh, so you just got to give yourself. You essentially have two timelines to keep track of it in, in, in some cases. Um, at least. At least. Yeah. And so you're going to have, you can have serious problems if you don't pay attention. Create, you can create huge plot holes. Yeah. So I think one of the things that people when, with with when you when you write a finished work, and we have a lot of writers who write their works finished and then post them. Um, I know Ellie does. Uh, she's in chat. She writes her works. She finishes them, writes them. Lady Holder, Kara, me. Um, I think Claire posts finished works only. I'm not 100% on that, but I'm pretty sure. I think Darkest is Dark Serafina is the same way. I'm probably missing some people that I know only, TK only posts uh, finished works. Azure only posts finished works. Um, and so what happens when you see works by people who write only finished works? Uh, Rogue also only posts, posts finished finish works. Um, and the reason why I mention that is because when you, when you get to a finished work, as opposed to you've been reading it, you know, a thousand words or 2000 words at a time. It, if, if the authors, they put in all that editing time, all that work, but the more work they put behind the story before they post it, the more effortless it seems when you read it. It's like, wow, this really flows, or this has got a really good rhythm, or this just feels like it's very organic. It just really fits or whatever the vibe you're getting. It's that every, how natural that feels or how easy that feels, that all is reflective of work ton of behind the scenes upfront work as opposed to when you're reading a work in progress especially if you're reading a work in progress with an author who's struggling and they share the struggle with you in their author notes and i'm not trying to like bash anybody or make anybody feel bad or anything like that but when i read a story that is now complete and i read all those author notes you totally get the vibe of what that was like as it was going along which is like even if the story feels like it's written really well and it feels really natural all that discussion of the struggle of it takes away from that finished product it takes away from how easy and complete that work feels because there's all these you know all these torturous this was really hard it was like pulling teeth you know i don't think i'm ever gonna be able to finish the story it's like whoa dude it reads really well chill I have parts of my process can be very frustrating. I can, you know, I have moments where I think, oh, I just suck so much. I can't. Oh my god. Um, you know, and I, I had a lot of anxiety about Unleash Your Demons because it was like not something I'd written before. I was kind. It was, it was a new fandom. It was a new pairing. It was, um, it was vastly different than what most people would expect. I don't think anybody who looked at the summary for Unleash Your Demons thought that it was me. I mean, yeah. you know, I surprised the hell out of my artist. 
<laughs> she did not see that shit coming. And so, because I was just like, you know, oh God, I'm so, it just, like, it, was, it was so, and I put a lot of work into Unleash Your Demons. Um, Lady Holder and Julie put a lot of work into Unleash Your Demons. And so it was like, I was really worried that people would hate it. That people would be like, oh God, Kira, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> Have you lost your mind? mind. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was, it was nerve wracking. So, yeah. Well, stepping out of your comfort zone can be tense. And then um, to do it, like, you know, putting me out first for the, for our very first, our inaugural quantum bang, making me go first. <laughs> <laughs> just like because really the first story kind of set the tone didn't it i mean it, it it sets the tone for the bang and i was just like you asshole <laughs> she was cursing me out but i'm like it's just what it's gonna be <laughs> um <laughs> part of part oh, of it part of, part of what the reason why i was not you know like sad that to put her first was because I I really needed that story out there because I needed to have a feel good feel better about Endgame, which it did make me feel better about Endgame, and uh, and to be able to talk about it. <laughs> I can't sit on this for two weeks. You're going first. <laughs> we had sat on it for months. <laughs> I had just seen Endgame. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, do you have to have a, your story baited for the Quantum Bang or just in general? Because I've got different answers for that. <laughs> you don't have to. But it would make me really happy if you baited your quantum... It, um, if your quantum bang was the best that you could provide. And that it was baited. That would make me really happy. But it's not a requirement. The only thing we ask in the quantum bang is that if you don't work with a beta, if you don't get a beta, that you please, please, please um, run grammar checkers. Whichever grammar checkers you can find, whether it's in Word or you use the free version of Grammarly or you send it to a friend who has Grammarly and ask them to do it for you. I don't care. But just, you know, spelling and grammar checkers, you know, if you can't do that and, you know, that's that's kind of like the bare minimum. Well, you'd be surprised. Not everybody does. <laughs> yeah, you'd be really surprised. And of a rough trade, of course, absolutely not. There um. There's no beta in the rough um, in rough trade, and I think in, you know I posted Darkly Loyal without a beta. Jazz Lady Holder batshit. One day I might let her beta it, just so she'll I, feel better. Duty to Living hasn't been betaed. <laughs> I mean, I grammar checked the fuck out of it, but it hasn't been betaed. Um, I'm gonna Holder. like stick a tea lady in the middle of um, of um, Darkly Loyal before I send it to her. <laughs> just so evil but she is going to beta um, I just didn't have time because I did so much work on Duty of the Living after I I, I did so much work on it after the deadline <laughs> I was like I basically wrote a difficultly different story after the story was the rough draft deadline because I had a rough draft but it was like I wasn't happy with it anyway I did so much that I didn't have time to get it through beta before it was it was due and um so Lady Holder is going to beta it for me after the fact, and um, and I'll, I'll you know I'll honestly, um, nothing for nothing stood out to me in duty of um in, in duty of the living. No, there were no huge problems or errors. So that's good. Because I mean, I read I read it so many times, I thought my eyes were going to bleed. 
was just like, Jesus. Because I couldn't, the thing is, I had it ready for beta. I could have sent it to her on to beta a couple days ahead of when I posted it, like Thursday, I think, maybe Thursday, late Thursday night, I think maybe or Friday afternoon I had it, maybe only 24 hours before I posted it. But who sends somebody 50K to beta the day? <laughs> with a day? Right, That's right. like the rudest fucking thing you could possibly do to somebody. So I just said, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let Grammarly and, uh, and Microsoft Grammar Checker have its way with me and we'll see what happens. Well, I had an epiphany about Darkly Lowell and, and about the beta process. And I was at that point, I had a lot on my plate. I was um, and I was like, you know what? If I, if I put this in beta, and it isn't going to come out for three months, and I'm and I'm done. I, I want to post it, so I did. So you did. Like this is it. <laughs> and so you did. That's just that's just the way it is. I've, I'm considering posting um, a couple of big stories I've got uh, waiting without beta, because I've been sitting on them so long that I'm kind of feeling like my final read through should be sufficient. Right. But you've forgotten everything. I've literally but, you know, forgotten everything. I mean, I don't, you know, obviously, you know. Okay, Lady Holder. She's fast, too. She's fast. She's fast. Um, Just sometimes I don't want to go through it myself. Well, there's that, too. Sometimes I just want to run the ba- get a grammar checker and be done with it. Um, now, I mean, the, fun- the frustrating thing is... And maybe I don't want to link to a YouTube video, Lady Holder. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, I think the last time I did Grammarly on something, and it was helpful, it was helpful, right? But I had, um, I run Grammarly on, on this, on this thing, and I don't even remember which, I don't even remember which story it was, but I was just like, I just want to, you know, and it was right before I was posting something. I run the run Grammarly, and it comes up with like 200 critical errors. Okay, this is after my this was after my final read through, right? Two hundred critical errors. That is a I, lot of unclear antecedents. Sure, the <laughs> fuck was I? Of those two hundred errors that I went through, I accepted like eight, eight. It just I wish they let like, you turn some stuff off in Grammarly. Yeah, I really wish they would let you turn off some, some grammar rules like the unclear antecedent. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. And but it, my I, antecedent is really fucking unclear. Okay, and stop judging my ellipses. If Grammarly tells me one more time that I'm using unnecessary ellipses, I'm going to kick its ass. How does it know? Un- unnecessary ellipses is a matter of content. If you don't if you don't understand the context, how in the world can a grammar checker say that it's unnecessary? <laughs> I've never gotten unnecessary ellipses, but I don't I don't use them as much as I, as I used to. I used to use them when I would think dot dot dot. <laughs> Every single Grammarly premium summary that I get has unnecessary ellipses is my top three errors. <laughs> also, I want to say what happened. Here's the thing. I don't know. Did you did you have this happen? <laughs> when we did the quantum bag, um, Grammarly usually, this is where Grammarly usually comes in with me, is it usually says that I'm more productive than 99% of its users, which, okay, you don't have to write much to actually be more productive than 99% of the users. Um, that I use more words than 99% of the users. And my error rate is somewhere you were more accurate than somewhere between 70 and 80% of the users. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's based upon its perception of my accuracy. That's usually where my reports come in from Grammarly. So when we did the quantum bang, I have the Grammarly plugin on my browser, right? So I'm opening up most of the stories and Grammarly is assessing that. 
right? <laughs> well, I get reports from Grammarly that says I've written millions of words this month. And my accuracy rate is better than 10% of people. And I use like 10,000 unique words, which is like triple what my usual is, right? And I was like, what? I'm like, look at this report. I went, oh, the quantum bang. <laughs> I opened up every fucking story on the site. I, I didn't pay attention to my reports. So it, it probably did, but I don't actually look at my reports. I probably should. I don't need that kind of judgment in my life. <laughs> I just, I huffed at it. I was like, fuck you, Grammarly. Put it away. <laughs> I'm like, I'm turning you off next time I'm editing other people's posts. <laughs> this makes me look like I write a ton and, and have lots of, lots of typos. <laughs> and believe me, but when we take all of the quantum bank combined, all of us I, in, in one report. I sometimes do double we, space, yes, but often, um, most of my double spaces now are actually a result of a twitch in my thumb from my pinched nerve and my um, thumb will kind of shift and it's especially on this mechanical keyboard. It's so much more sensitive. So now I'm having to do like a double and triple space check on my work because mm -hmm. I keep, because my thumb twitches. Well, after my top error, after, after editing, after going through all the quantum bang stories was missing comma in a compound sentence. So Okay, you guys, now you know what you need to work on. <laughs> and Grammarly actually is pretty good about that one. Yeah. It actually, that, that's one of the commas is, it's accurate on most of the time. So usually when Grammarly tells me I'm missing a comma in a compound sentence, I huff, but it's usually right. <laughs> um, okay, so, so finding inspiration... Where so anyway, the point about all this is when all of this stuff happens behind the scenes and there's all the plotting and the revisions and the editing and you know all this drafting it and the goal my goal is that it, you get it and you're like, oh wow, that just feels effortless. That's my goal. And if that's the way it feels to you, that's awesome. But it doesn't mean it actually was. It was a lot of work. Yeah, I um I want to make the appearance of being slick as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it is work it's not like it's just the ideas just and I, I i sometimes i bang on the ideas too sometimes i do get really inspired and it's like it's right there but a lot of times it's talking to other people it's working an idea and working it and working it and working it it's not just a mystical muse that crawls up my ass and tells me what to write that sounded really perverted <laughs> Yeah, um, and there is no muse. So whatever called up her ass is, was not a muse. No. Do you, do you need to call nine one one? But I might be yeah. amused. <laughs> we don't. I don't buy into the whole muse thing. We've talked about this before. I don't buy into it. It because I know I know how hard it is with these. I know how much I work for these ideas. They didn't come from the ether. And your your muse can sit right beside your sky fairy. Okay, I mean. Just, that's right. They could just eat the damn broccoli salad together because <laughs> I'm not having anything to do with it. I did that. Me, not the fucking muse. But you know, I think a lot of times I see women demure on um, their their creativity or their accomplishments because we're we're taught that we should be humble. Um, but fuck that. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes, and, and this to me, it's like, I know that people, when they feel that spark of creativity, it's easy to label that a muse, but that is just your natural gift, baby. 
just own it. Just embrace it. That's yours. You di- it didn't come from anywhere. It came from you. And, you know, when you blame your successes, your failures on your muse, being absent, and you credit your muse with your successes, it doesn't empower you. So that's why I just, I, find, I know some people use the term jokingly, but it drives me bonkers because I feel like it's disempowering. And you deserve the credit for for what you come up with. And when you're having a hard time writing, it's not because your muse is absent. It's some, something else. You're tired, you're stressed, you're pissed off, you got your period, you know, etc. Somebody you live with got their period, <laughs> which uh, is enough to throw you off your game. Toddler looked a tire in front of you. You know. All those <laughs> oh, gross. Really? <laughs> that would ruin my life. <laughs> no, so I, I had to go. I've been, I was losing air in my, in my tires. So I had to go to, the, amongst all the other things to do today, I go to the tire shop, right? And I had a headache and I, this, this place was very busy. And um, there was a nail in my tire. It was a very small nail. That's why I couldn't see it. They couldn't see it either. They didn't see it until they actually took the tire off the rim. And then there it was poking them. <laughs> little teeny tiny nail but they fixed it but so there's this this lady comes in with her toddler and this little girl you know how kids are they talk at volume they do not understand the concept of modulating tone at that age and so i'm just trying to be patient with the fact that she is a chatterbox and she's talking very loudly and her mom is just uh-huh 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 and um mom gets the kid lets her start running around well of course now everybody in the tire shop is responsible for this kid because I don't care that she's loud at this point, right? I had a headache, but I didn't care that she was loud. I cared that she was running around all over the place and mom isn't keeping up with her. So I look up and this little kid girl's outside of her mom's eye line and she's looking at these ti- this rack of tires, right? Because it's a tire shop. That's what they've got there is tires. And then she leans forward and licks it. And I was oh, like, at least it wasn't actually on a vehicle. That's true. But I look over at the mom. I said, your little girl's licking tires. <laughs> And instead of getting up and going and getting her daughter, she goes, come here, so-and-so, you know, come here. And she's like, looking, she's kind of irritated. And I'm like, whatever. So then after like 10 or 15 minutes of shenanigans of this noise, and um, there's about eight, six people or so sitting over in the area where we were. And um, my phone rings. It's, it's on vibrate, so it didn't disturb anybody. But it was my doctor's office. And I've been waiting for them to call me to schedule um, a procedure I need to do. And so the, my side of the conversation consisted of, they asked, you know, is this, is this Jilly James? I said, this is, this is she. And they said, you know, we're calling to schedule your appointment for such and such. And I said, okay. And they said, we have, you know, September 24th at 10 a.m. And I said, let me check my calendar. And I'm talking in a low voice because I'm in public, right? So let me check my calendar. I checked my calendar. So that time is fine. I said, you know, your procedure will be at 1030. You need to check in at 10. And I said, okay. And she said, and your follow-up will be on November 8th at 11 a.m. And I said, okay. And I hung up and she looks at me, this lady with the kid, the loud kid looks at me and she said, it is really rude to take phone calls in public. And I said, everybody, like everybody, like all of everybody's heads like went on a swivel. They turned to stare at her. And I went, yeah, the noise pollution must be really hard for you. (laughs) You whore. (laughs) Like whatever, bitch. Now I understand why your daughter's licking tires. <laughs> I I commend you for not cussing her out because I would have not refrained. 
it was just it was just it was just so i mean everybody had been enduring a lot of noise and tolerating it because it was a kid who you know that's just what she was being a kid everybody was tolerating all the noise and you couldn't hear my discussion over that child i promise you that so when she said that and everybody and literally everybody especially this older gentleman just looked at her like she was out of her fucking mind but yeah there you go I'm not honestly sure I could refrain from cussing her out in front of her hellion two-year-old or whatever how old that kid was. No, no. She's about three. But, you know, it was That just, kid would have learned some new words that day. Mm-hmm. But I just, I mean, I was like, oh, whatever, whatever. I'm just gonna, you know, it's so, you know, if I believed in muses, my muse would have taken a hike right there for the whole fucking day. But as it was, I knew exactly why I wasn't in the mood to write today. I had, you know, two doctor's appointments and a flat tire and that. That. <laughs> And then my pasta was overcooked. And that is the worst. <laughs> oh. So I, I hate mushy pasta. It's mushy, almost borderline gloopy pasta. And I was just like. And so I'm like, somebody asked me like, if you want to sprint or anything tonight. And I'm like, hell no. Now I could have <laughs> said, I could have blamed that on my muse. Well, my muse is just not speaking to me today. But what I really mean is I had a shitty day. I just want to sit here with a cookie and watch reruns of Project Runway. Leave me alone. <laughs> I don't feel creative today. Although, you know, to be perfectly honest, I probably would have told that lady just to suck my dick. I mean, that's probably <laughs> what would have come out of my mouth. And then she could explain to her three-year-old why the lady at the tire store had a dick because that's what would have come out of my mouth. Start with dick. I know me. You can suck my dick. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. It's that kind of day. But so sometimes you're just, you know, ideas don't just come from nowhere. They they build, you know. You you work on them and work on them and work on them. Poke, poke, poke. And whatever your process is, is your process, you know, um, and figuring that out, that process and what works for you is, is paramount to your productivity, mm-hmm. knowing how far to go and, oh, hell yes, on the Midsummer Murders, even if it really has convinced me that most British villages are full of sexual deviants and murderers. Right. <laughs> The, the, the Brits take the Brits take their crime dramas seriously. Between that, what was it? White Whitechapel and Whitechapel blood. Wire in the blood is is is. Oh. But Whitechapel was fierce. But Miss Murders is just lovely. It's all tea and murder. It's, it's lovely. I I really enjoy it. But yeah, everybody's like like Kira said. Everybody's process is is different, and you got to do what works for you. Um, there's somebody I plot with on a regular basis that, you know, it's hard to tell during when we're when we're brainstorming what's gelling for her. It really is because she just really takes stuff on board, and then lets it percolate, and then all of a sudden she'll go. You know, it's like I don't know if she's still working on it or what, but like all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's the idea. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But that's 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 the way her process is. It's very um it's a lot in I think it's a lot internalized and it helps her to like verbalize ideas and get other ideas and kind of sound things out. And she makes notes and then she just goes off and thinks about it and thinks about it and kind of processes it for a while and then it's like, but here's an idea. Um <laughs> 
and that's the way it works for her. And I'm, I'm a little bit more of, I externalize my process more. I, you know, I talk to people, I bounce ideas around. I start, you know, sometimes I'll write like little scenes to kind of get a feel for something. It's, I don't, it's not so much percolating in the back of my mind usually. Although sometimes I'll get a little, like a little bit of a seed of an idea and it's got to grow up a little bit before I can latch onto it. It's like, it's something there, but it's not fully formed yet. Um, but I will say most of the time when I go into challenges and I prepare and I plan to go into a challenge, like a reverse bang, this is especially true with a reverse bang. Um, all I'm looking for when I plan to do a challenge is that I find it inspiring, but that does not mean that I figured out what the inspiration is yet. But I can tell when I hear a challenge or look at a picture or if it speaks to me, I know the minute, the minute I see it or hear it, I know it speaks to me. And if it doesn't, I don't even bother. Why would you try to force yourself down a path that doesn't, you know? I think sometimes people um, take it, take too much on board. Uh, like they'll, they'll read a craft book or they'll listen to a podcast like this or, um, and they'll, hear they'll see how other people do it and think okay i have to do it that way and then they invest themselves in, in learning somebody else's process to their own detriment mm -hmm. now over the years i've explored various methods of, of plotting of characterization um of of writing um for the record 500 words a day is never going to work out for me <laughs> i'm like <laughs> i mean because if I'm in the mood to write, 500 words a day isn't going to cut it. Yeah. But if I don't want to write it off, 500 words is like you know getting a getting punched in the face because it's just not it's just isn't going to happen. Um, but so over the years, I've refined my process to what works for me. And we can talk about our processes all day long, but you have to take what works for you. And make it your own. Because otherwise you're just. Um, so I think people are. You know it's, it's like they're punishing themselves. For not accomplishing. Or not making this. This particular system work for them. Or this plot. System. Or this characterization sheet. or And they're like well if I can't do it that way. Then I, um, then I suck. And so I shouldn't do it at all. I mean, I've seen that attitude, and it's really disheartening. Yeah. And don't let anybody ever tell you that you have to do, that you have to write this way, and that you have to plot this way. If someone tells you that there's only one way to plot, and this is it, you tell them to suck my dick. Because it's bullshit. Because Julie and I are both plotters, but our plot process is very different. Now, I will say, I think... And productively, when we're both in the writing groove, we are about even on the ability to produce a word count on, on a daily basis. Yeah. But our processes are totally different. Not, not totally different, but different enough for it to matter. Yeah, but I do think that because we are both plotters, that we could adapt to each other's um, process. Uh, 
my experience in the past of working with other writers is I usually like if we, whoever does the more in-depth process is the one we go with. Um, so like if we were ever to plot something together, we would plot to the way Kira does because her plotting is more in-depth than mine. Um, that kind of thing. But but in general, it's very difficult sometimes to, if you, especially if you've never done it before, to adapt a process to the way somebody else works. If you've never tried to adapt to another person's process, because sometimes what you have to do is you have like the process you've got together and then you've got your own little side process that you're going, okay, but this is what's really going on. Um, <laughs> this is what we're really doing. She doesn't let me, know it. <laughs> let, me trans, let me translate this thing we're doing together into the thing that I understand. So... But, but, you know, I think Lady Holder and I did learn a, a very pre a, a pretty valuable lesson about um, writing together um, in that we mesh well on a narrative. Our, um, I would I would task anybody to look through that. Um, there are parts of that I can't tell which one of us wrote it. And then there are other times where I'm like, oh, yeah, she wrote that part. Or I wrote that part. But then, you know, in our narrative, um, we blended together really well. Um, the problem is, is that our processes are, like, I'm on Jupiter and she's on Saturn. <laughs> no, I think we're in the same solar system. We're just, you know, <laughs> we're definitely on different planets. Um, because she's a pantser. And she could sit down with a, with, a, with a blank page right now, start writing if she was in the mood to write and not know what's coming and she wouldn't care. I'm just sitting here making a face going, mm -hmm. and I know this about her. And I know that even though we plotted on the phone for several hours before we started writing that, um, that, that was more of a guideline for her than a rule. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't realize that about her as as a writer, and we and we learned that lesson. Yeah, there was a very loose guideline that involved killing my tea lady. Um, but I can't work with a loose guideline. She needs to know what to expect. Yeah, you, you know, she you need to know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I I have to know what's coming before it comes, and then which is which is why I plot the way I do. Um. And even in the time, like I said, when I said that I have pants, it, it I really didn't. I mean, I'll pants little elements like a penguin. Um, but the actual full-blown pants, I've never done it, apparently. I mean, because if if pantsing is, is what Lady Holder does, I've never done it. Because <laughs> I told the story of that old black magic to myself in my head for weeks before I, um, before I wrote it. Well, I didn't actually do a storyboard. I had that whole story in my head for weeks. And I had intended on doing a storyboard for it, but then I wrote my foot. And I'm like, okay, I'll just write. So I wrote it. And the same thing happened with Birth of the Serpent King. Two stories that I would have told you, in, and I have told you in the past that I pantsed. But upon reflection, not really. Well, your version of it's your version of pantsing. It's my version of pantsing, which means I didn't actually do a storyboard or a zero draft. I just started writing from my head draft. As opposed to sitting down and having no idea where this was going to end up. You knew exactly where it was going to end up. Right. And yeah, that's 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 how you work. 
So I find the idea of sitting down to a blank page with no idea where I'm going appalling. The last time I did it, it stressed me out. And I, I, I would say that I didn't always, I didn't make great choices necessarily. But, you know. But that is my process. And I have a great deal of respect for Lady Holder's process. I just um, can't do it. And I think my process would drive her nuts. I could see that. <laughs> for really, really, for me, my storyboard or my zero draft, whatever how you want to call it, is really just I've kind of built myself a house and now I have to furnish it. Yeah. You've you've done the tell part of the story. Now you're going to show the story. And um well, no, I, for me, a straight jacket would be the, the scene structure that Ellie talks about, which is why I don't scene map, because that is really restrictive and rigid, and it would make me, it would really stress me out trying to stay in that box. Yeah. Now, I I agree. It, it That is, scene mapping is too, too rigid for me, too. Um but but the, but the <laughs> amount the amount of rigidity that like Kira and I both work with me less than her would drive some people absolutely bonkers. They're like, oh, I just there's no way I could do that. I would feel so confined. Or um, and I know people who have tried to to who are just natural pantsers who who just start to feel confined when they try to write to a plot, but. I will say that to some degree, for most writers, not all, but this is my observation, for most writers who are pantsers, who are diehard pantsers, um, not plotting at all, not sorting any of that stuff out, could lead to, you're, you're going to lead, for most of them, they're going to have some restriction on how long their story can get. Because when you get to a certain level of complication, in a story, um, not knowing where you're going and how you're going to get there, it starts to become you have you. It's inevitable that you're going to wind up with plot holes and inconsistencies, and it, it's just I I think that for the 99% of pantsers, it's like pantsing has a threshold on how complex and how long the story can be before it just starts to feel like a hot mess. I think, I think there are actually two kinds of pantsers. Um, there are those who write short, complete works, um, usually under 50K. Um, they're really tight and um, well done. Lady Holders, it, Lady Holder is one of those. Um, then there's that pantser who is a half a million words into a single story. Mm -hmm. And there's no end in sight. And uh, most of those works that are like that, um, they they feel like they're they feel like they they're just falling apart on the ground to me to me not all i mean there's there's exceptions there are exceptions out there but usually when i see a story going on and on and on and on and on it's like there's big consistency issues the stories that feel like it's focused um and and the lack of direction is evident in 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 the fact that the story is still going so um, I, I said for most, not all, but for most writers, a epic length is going to be a real challenge if you don't know where you're going. And that's 
just I've worked I've taught I've worked with a lot of pantsers who've tried to work write longer works or who have big ideas and the execution of big ideas just it's really hard when you're pantsing. I think it's important to have your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But to also stretch your boundaries and challenge yourself, but know know where you're comfortable. But stretching your boundaries does not mean going from like it, you're comfortable writing 10 to 20K and then you get an idea that's 300K. That's not stretching your boundaries. No. <laughs> stretching your boundaries would be trying to hit 40K, get, get the lower end of a novel, 40 to 50K. That would be a stretch. That'd actually be a big stretch if you're if you're in the 10 to 20K zone. Doubling and more possibly even tripling your comfortable word count is because that's a lot more plot than a lot of pantsers have dealt with. So, um, but if you routinely, like Lady Holder can, she can handle novel length, no problem. In her, it's that's in her pantsing wheelhouse to handle novel length. Um, but if that's not in your wheelhouse, if you've not ever had to take a novel to completion when you are flying by the seat of your pants, um, shooting for an idea that would take you 300 or 400k to execute is is not advisable because you're just going to frustrate yourself i think separating it into um novellas or short novels is a very good idea if you have a big idea like you know something on the level of say ties that bind or um sentinels of atlantis writing um novellas or episodes or um short novels is an excellent way to get your idea out there and to keep it structured um, and to give yourself room to explore the, the concept that you would like to explore without writing a half a million words in one novel, mm-hmm. which is not actually a novel. I'm not even sure what a half a million words is. It's, it's not even epic, but right? it's like it's, a super it's, novel. It's like, I don't, it's more, it's just, it's just extra. Um, yeah. It's extra. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, even the breaking it up for somebody who is a, who is a pantser to their core, even the breaking it up, the plan to break it up and to tell this piece of the story sometimes requires more planning than they're comfortable with. And yeah. I, and the thing is I can feel the frustration from the people that I've worked with on these issues. I can feel how frustrating it is for them that they have a really complicated idea, but they can't figure out how to execute on it because even figuring out how to break it up, is more planning than they're used to doing and i honestly don't have a good solution for that i i've i've worked with this and around this problem and tried to help people in this area a lot and i just i just don't know how to advise someone that doesn't involve taking them out of the comfort zone and saying you got to know where you're going you got to have a plan and it's some kind of just a very loose one and that some people just are just they level plan you know if that's where I mean, you like, are, yeah. I mean, I mean, even in an episodic series like Sentinels of Atlantis, you would not believe the zero draft for Sentinels of Atlantis, <laughs> because um, the Sentinels of Atlantis is is broken up into episodes. Well, it's budded by two novels, The Gathering and The Search, and in between there's episodes. Um, uh, but the Sentinels of Atlantis is an episodic series it's a series of short stories each story is a building block to a bigger story and i brought things to the table in the gathering that doesn't actually see the light of day until the search you know so 
plotting that, I plotted each individual episode and the final book in that in that season. That I also plotted the overall story arc of the entire Sentinels of Atlanta series. Which you would have to, I would think. I have a story about for the Sentinels of Atlanta. It is uh, 300 pages of handwritten notes. And it's five seasons. I believe it. I totally believe it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, I... I think that at most, if you're a pantser and you wanted to do an episodic series like Sentinels of Atlantis, you at least need... You got to have a trajectory. You got to have an arc. If you can't figure out your arc, yeah, you need an arc. You need to, you need key events as well. Yeah, and I only wish I honestly wish for people who were not planners in any kind of way. I honestly do wish I could I could come up with a method for them to be able to 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 write a really big idea. Because sometimes somebody comes to me and they go, "What do you think of this idea?" And I go, "Wow, that's huge." Um. And it is, it's enormous. You know, it's like, wow, that's, that's, that's three or 400 K. That's what it would take me to tell it. Um, and they need, they want to figure out how to break that up, but it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you got to be able to push that skill boundary. And if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to just keep push, pushing through the discomfort, you, it may be easier just to stay in your lane and save yourself the frustration because the frustration can become here we go. It it might be the thing for those of you who have one. It might be the thing that murdered your muse. It was that frustration. Okay. Um, Queenie asked and asked a question. How do you figure out where you're going? Say you have an idea. How do you know where you're going with it? Okay. So I had an idea for uh, my quantum bang, and my quantum bang involved um, three characters, three main characters, um, and I asked myself. Where do I see character A? What's character A's happy ending? What's character B's happy ending? Do these conflict? Can I meet these goals at the same time? What's character 3 getting out of this? Or character C? Character C. What's character C? How, where is character C at the end of my story? Now character A is my main character. So where he is and where character B is, is super important to the structure of my story. So how do I get my three characters from where they are when the story begins to the place they need to be at the end? What stands in their way? What are the external motivations? What are their internal motivations? Who is the antagonist? What is the antagonist capable of? What is the antagonist's goal? This is all brainstorming. Um, so you ask yourself these questions. I want to be here. How do I get here? How do I make character A happy? How do I have character B li li living his best life? Or how do I, you know, so, you see what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay, so half, after I answer these questions, I have to ask myself what stands in between their beginning and their end? Who stands between their beginning and their end? What do I have to accomplish 
Now, Quantum Bang is to fix it. So what do I have to fix in canon to make my ending happen? I think the questions are 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 an integral part of the... Uh, and when you're working with somebody who's helping you bounce ideas around, they should be asking you a lot of questions. And, and even if you can't answer the questions or you, if you find the questions frustrating, take it in and go out and think about it. Even if you don't have an answer, just think about it because these are all questions that just noodling on them and sometimes talking about it out loud, even to yourself, can really help change your perspective. But um, you need to know what kind of story you want to tell. Am I telling an action story? Is it a romance? Am I are my characters overcoming? Is it good versus evil? We we had that whole podcast on theme the, on the central theme. You know, is my care story good? You know, good versus evil? Is it is it finding love? Is it self acceptance? You know, what kind of story am I telling? What what is my what is the thing that I'm aiming for? And then, what is your theme? What is your concept? These are very important. Your themes, um, knowing what because that theme. Be careful about your tone. Be, be careful about who, what, when, why, when, where, why, and how, because that that falls into. We did a podcast about um, giving yourself like what what did we call them? They're like, like trite, pissy little statements. Pith, pithy, not pissy. Um, pithy statements is that they can. What sounds like good advice on the surface and a pithy little statement can actually be terrible advice. So. Like, like the, that time I told people, because I had been told to write what you know. Write what you know. That's the worst piece of writing advice I ever got, was write what you know. Mm-hmm. And honestly, show, don't tell is by itself not great writing advice. Because the problem with show, if people take that too literally, and they do, is they're showing a bunch of boring shit. But also, a lot of people don't know the difference between a narrative and exposition. exposition. True. But I mean, what happens with show don't tell is that instead of just saying like they got together and painted the house and then and then and then have the conversation that happens over dinner is they show them opening paint cans and stirring paint and painting the walls. And you're going, what are you doing? And you're going, I'm showing that they're painting the room. I'm like, oh, my God, just say they painted the room. <laughs> just, just say it. I don't actually care how that happened. I mean, um, it, it's you're taking too literally show don't tell. So um well, the actual real advice, Rogue, about writing what you know should be learn everything you can and then write what you know. Or even learn what you need to and then write what you know. So basically, it's research and then write. But that doesn't sound, it's not catchy. So nobody says it. So that's when you say, ask yourself who, what, when, where, why, and how can be sound good, except it's it it's, doesn't sound, it doesn't mean anything. When you think about it, what do you mean to ask who, what, where? You need more specific now? questions. Right. Because in some stories, some of those aren't, don't matter. You know? Um, some stories are really about the why. Sometimes stories are really about the who. And when you focus on them as if they all have equal weight, or you ask yourself all those questions, you may not be focusing on the right question. And so I always think the most important question to start with is what st- kind of story are you telling? Is it is it a romance? Is it an action adventure? Is it, what is your theme? What, you know, whatever you want to call it, what is the point? What is the theme? What are you trying to do? So, you know, the point of Demons was that Tony Stark would accept being a guide. 
that something he didn't want became something he did want. And it was his journey to accepting that part of himself because it was already always there. And it was also him understanding and accepting that even if Tony didn't accept it, even if Tony never had that moment of wanting it, that accepting that Dom was going to stay with him anyway. So accepting somebody else's love for him and at the same time wanting to be everything he could be to Dom was what the story was about. That was what that story was leading to. And then there was a whole plot that was taking them to that point, to that point, to that place. And I knew that, that was the story I was telling. That's just because I set it up in, um, in a uh, in a uh, stick around. So uh, the the foundation for that was laid in stick around. So that I always knew the sequel was going to be about that, about Tony coming into his own and accepting this about himself and wanting it, not just accepting it, but wanting it. Well, I think the wanting is the most important part. It is. It is the wanting. Because sometimes you can accept things that are just terrible. The, the wanting is because he needed to have that moment where it wasn't about being a guide. It was about being Dom's guide. And right. he, he wanted to be everything he could be to Dom. And That's gorgeous. Um, Sin asked in asked a question, a question about original works. If the world you're wanting to work with is massively different to our, our world or set in another time or another planet, would it be okay to have a prologue or preface? Did I say that word? Preface, uh-huh. Preface. Um, that explains the world and some of the history, conflict, culture, well species, races that exist in the world, especially if some of that history has precedence in the story itself. My flat answer is no. Because that's boring. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me. Show me. If they're on a new world, tell me what show me what that world looks like. Is the sky purple? Show me. What do they look like? Who are the um, who are the different species? What what you're that isn't a preface. That's an info dump, um, and I I would skip it as a um, as a reader. So ways Personally. you but but there are other ways you can do something similar, but you can't just info dump on your on your audience, and that is like in um, I plotted a, an MCU story. In Sentry, I, I introduced the idea of the creation stone, which was the sort of the mother stone of the infinity stones. And she was asleep at the center of the earth. The earth formed around her when she went to sleep. And so I plotted a story. It was my first quantum bang story that I plotted that I did start, but I, it obviously is not the one that crossed the finish line. And in that story, um, the creation stone wakes up when the snap happens. And it's so traumatic, the loss of life, that she wakes up. And the pref there's a prologue that is written from her point of view about feeling that loss and about her sleep and about how sh she's seeking for who's going to be her avatar to correct this mis this total violation of the the natural order. So this is that was so there was a lot of information imparted, but it was not imparted intended to be an info dump. It was intended to introduce this character. And it was a it was a different viewpoint because most of the rest of the story would be told from the point of view of her avatar. And 
this 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 prologue and sometimes prologues and epilogues give you an opportunity to pull back into a different maybe even a you know a, a, like a godlike point of view from a very strong powerful you know care like a if you've got like a cosmic entity that is enabling time travel or something you can do like a prologue showing how they're going and finding tony stark or um and or, or whatever they're going to do and then you start your your first chapter in in your more traditional um the the traditional rising action of your main pov character um jesus christ you, you, just, you, you just bunnied me did i i'm sorry yeah i'm not sorry you're actually not remotely sorry oh my god no my tone was i know my tone was so full of bu so full of bullshit but that's what I mean by so there are ways you can impart information to the audience, but you can't even in that I wouldn't do it as an info dump, right? Because she wakes up in a moment of trauma. And she's trying to understand what happens. And so she's gathering information about what happened. Now, the thing is, most of that information the audience already knows because they saw Infinity Wars, and they know what the snap was. So she's gathering information and she's seeking an avatar to act for her, to function as her, her hand, if you will, um, in setting the universe to rights. So there wouldn't be her point of view again, in part because she merges with her avatar eventually. And so the avatar's point of view becomes their combined point of view. But anyway, that's just a whole other thing. But um, that would have been a different tone for the prologue, but the prologue would have also been short. I would have kept it to under 3K um, because I'm trying to just give like an emotional punch, uh, set up where the story is coming from, who this basically original character is, because she is kind of a character, and then jump into the normal narrative style. But you can also do something very similar in an epilogue where you go into a different point of view than you've had before that has like a 50,000 foot view of what's been going on as opposed to so sometimes you can get a different emotional tone in the prologue or the epilogue that you can't do any other anywhere else in your story i think a really good example of that in fandom would be that story that i cannot pronounce san san the is it like lord san shook or san Suk or something like that yeah the, that lord of the rings one where the um, where the where the company is watching gimli Find his way through Middle Earth, um, the Peanut Gallery. Uh, they provide a different perspective on the events that you know um, that are being. Um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm waiting for it to finish before I read it. I mean, I started reading it, and I was like, "Well, I need to wait." <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes you look at a story and you go, mm, "I'm really interested in that," but um, um, I need it's, to wait. It's... Actually, if I see a story that's like over 150k and it's a work in progress, and somebody goes, "Oh, they're updating regularly," I go, "Yeah, I'll start it when they're finished with it." Because I, with a story that long, I, I need I need to have some confidence that they're going to be able to end it before I start reading it. I need to know I'm not going to be left hanging because I don't I don't take it being cock teased well. <laughs> mm. So you got a bunny, huh? I did. I did. I, I did get a bunny. It's, it's, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Um, but also, it's it, when it comes to, I think with, with most exposition, there are better ways to break up exposition than in, uh, always better ways to dump, to deal with exposition. Because sometimes, well, actually, sometimes you can't, you can't, some level of exposition may be necessary. 
like, but you do it in little tiny doses where you give two or three sentences. And that way it's just part of the narrative as opposed to what you want to always avoid is the info dump, which is like page after page after page of, you know, and then they went and then the, this village grew out of this. And then, you know, it's just, you're, you're going to lose your audience and you're going to ruin your pace before your pace ever gets going. You, so you if you have, have to it. introduce a new species, um, you could do that gradually. You know, you could have your main POV character noticing someone in the room of, of a different species, having a casual thought about them, um, having a conversation with somebody who might not know very much about that alien species. Um, but you don't want to just dump it all on your on your um, on your reader because if they're anything like me, they're either going to skip it or exit out of your fic. Or and not buy the sample off Amazon, or 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 delete the sample from your from their Kindle and move on. Because if you throw six pages of exposition at me, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Especially if that's the first thing I've got. You I need to show me. You need to show me the money. <laughs> if, that, now, if if I if I have a hundred thousand words into something I'm really enjoying and I get six pages of exposition, I'm gonna be frowning at that author for being lazy for six pages. But I'm probably gonna get over it and keep going if I've enjoyed it up to that point. <laughs> But if you give me that six pages in the front, I'm never going to get to that 100K mark. You might go on my ban list. <laughs> I'm just saying. I have, a, I have a no read list. I have a list of authors who who just something about We're their style or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but it's something about their style or some, some choices that they consistently make in their stories. Like, I do not want to. I don't care what anybody says about it. I don't care how good somebody says it is. I just won't read it by them because I know that they have an element in their, in their craft that, that frustrates the fuck out of me. And sometimes it's an element that doesn't bother that, you know, um, there's um, somebody recommended a story by an author to me recently. And I said, Oh no, 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 no. I don't, I don't read this author. They're on my no list. Um, and I don't, I don't remember how it went that they kind of asked me like why that was, but you know, and I said, well, because they, they do this thing is this one thing. And, uh, and it, it, it drives me bonkers. It throws me out of the story in such a such a abrupt way that I can't can't get back. I can't get I can't I can't maintain the rhythm of the story, so I just don't read them. And it's one like my and it's one thing that they had noticed. They said, Oh yeah, they had noticed it too, and it really drove her crazy too. But she was able to get past it and keep going. It was a it was a hard stop for me. And everybody's at different tolerances of those things, right? But if an author's consistently giving me six pages of exposition at the front of their story, they're gonna go on my fuck no list. No. Big time. No. no. I don't care. Uh, if there is an HP author that is regularly recommended to me, Harry Potter, who's regularly recommended in, in groups and stuff that I follow that I do not read because of the sexualization of Hermione. Um, even when she's like a first year or a second year, Harry's having explicit sexual thoughts about her, and I just can't. Yeah, no, that's just gross. And I'm like, it's really fetishizing Emma Watson. Is 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 what's going on? And I, I and that author's at the top of my no list. And no, I'm not going to say who it is because either you like the person and you read it and you don't even notice it or you don't read them and you, and you know why. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, just, sometimes you just, it's, it's just a hard no. I just like, you just can't get there. Um, and exposition is a, is a big hard no for me. 
And there are some authors who explore the same themes over and over and over again. So, you know, there's an author in Stargate who, who always tends to write these dark, dystopia, abusive fics. And I'm like, I just, why? <laughs> why do you do this? Your idea sounded so pretty until I realized it was you and then I knew where it would go. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be physically abused in this story, but I know someone's going to get the shit kicked out of them on a regular basis throughout your story, and I'm not reading it. Yeah, yeah. I had this moment. I stumbled across a new MC writer. I had never, I had never, they not not new writer. They have like a huge body of work, but new to me. And um, the first story that I read of theirs, it was really good. Now it had a couple of these little little elements that kind of made me head tilt and I was like I wonder why they made that choice there in the dynamics between these characters it was the only thing was just like the the power dynamics were a little off and I'm I'm good with power dynamics but they were off in a way that was making me slightly uncomfortable but I couldn't quite you know it was such a minor part of the story though that I just kind of like oh this this is great I really love their word craft and da, 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 da. so what do I do when I find a story that I really like by an author I go check out what they what else they've written right everything else in their catalog is ABO. And I went, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I was like, no. And that was what was tweaking me, is those little teeny tiny threads of something that spoke to that power imbalance in a bad way. Um, that was from, and this was, you know, and they'd written this for a challenge where ABO wasn't allowed. So it's like the only story they've got that doesn't have ABO in it. Well, they instantly went on my no list. I don't care what, even though no matter how much I wrote, enjoyed that story, I don't care what they write. It's, it would be a big no. Because if I had read anything else of theirs first, I would never would have read that one story. Because if, if somebody only writes ABO, it's, it, hmm. that, that, I'm going to say it. They only write glorified rape fic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that vibe will be in their other work in some fashion. And it, it was there and it just had been kind of bugging me, but I hadn't quite been able to, you know, put my finger on what was bugging me about the interaction between these characters. And then it was like, Oh, everything else is ABO. And the, and the summaries, some of the summaries, just the summaries were so horrifying and how the Omegas were treated that I knew I would never have clicked on one of those stories. So, yeah. So sometimes I have a hard no with authors and I'm not even the interested. Only in thing, the only thing worse than glorified rape is glorified slavery, which usually well, includes glorified rape. So. I even know what author you're talking about, Queenie, because, yeah, I, I had read a couple works by that author and um, then realized the rest of a lot of their other content was, and I went, oh. You gotta tell me about that later. Yeah. Because um, I I don't get it. <laughs> Just leave it. You know, well, you know, the, the one, there, there is an episode of, um, CSI, the original series, CSI, the one set in Las Vegas, obviously. Um, baby. <laughs> I even know exactly what episode she's talking about, King Baby. And I um, was like, that was actually the first time I had been exposed to that kink. I had no, I had no idea, none, that this was a kink. That there were people out there that like to be treated physically like babies with diapers and shit. 
and like literally gets their diaper changed and stuff. I I had no idea that actually existed. And and this here's the thing, folks. If this is if you're listening to this and this is something that you really enjoy, this is your thing. You like being diapered and treated like an infant. I honestly, we're not talking about what you do in your in your life, but it. I cannot believe the way this is represented in fic is the is what people are actually doing in their life because what what I often see it with is with the designated crier in in whatever the given show or fandom is whether it's Tony Dinozo or Tony Stark or whatever is they are um, it's just another expression of them being whumped by fandom they're emotionally treated terribly and the only way they can deal with it is to be diapered and treated like a baby and i just i do not believe that people who who have this particular kink that that this is actually what any kind of realist representation so you know i'm not not judging because i don't i'm honest i don't understand it at all i'm not i have no, no desire to diaper anybody i have no desire to be diapered so i don't understand it in any kind of understanding way i don't get but it I, but I respect your right to have your kink. I just do not believe for a second that what fandom is off doing with this is reflective of I mean, reality. I don't know. But I was actually 31 when I watched that episode-ish. I was 31-ish. And me and my husband watched it together. We kept looking at each other. We weren't married at the time, as a matter of fact. Um, or we were just about to get married. We got married that summer. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we kept looking at each other. He's like, "Is that real? Do people do that?" And I'm like, "I don't know. We didn't look it up because we can't get on the internet and look for that." I was like, "We are getting on the internet and looking for that," and we did, and it was real. And I was like, "What?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually kind of relieved by that because it kind of like explained. I mean, I I ended up reading a lot about fetishes at the time. So when that whole pony play episode happened on Bones, I didn't even blink an eye. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I will say that the non-sexual expression of that particular kink, I can, I do not get the sexual expression of it. Okay, people who do it in a non-sexual way. They just want to be taken care of. They're regressing in some fashion. It's probably reflective of something very traumatic in their life. Okay, I, I kind of I feel like there's like a mental health thing going on here, and I'm separating that out. But when people do it in a sexual way, it's like sexualizing like sexualizing infants. It feels very weird to me. I just I I gotta stop myself because freak, I'm freaking myself out. But um, but it. And the thing is, the problem is with, with tag abuse is the way I even discovered that how fandom treats this particular topic is because I missed the tag. I missed the tag. I didn't know what littles meant. I, That's what that means? I've seen that tag, but I didn't click on it. I didn't, know. Little people. I didn't know. No, they meant, they meant, they meant little in their mind. Like it's some sort of like. And they it, don't mean the littles like the cartoon. No, what they no, okay. what they mean is like okay. littles. It's like it's like a world building thing where like it, like you know like you're instead of like you're you know how like in ties that bind you have a natural dynamic you're a dom or a sub right yeah they mean like yeah. there's world building like a little as somebody who's naturally a, a child in their inside and then there are natural caregivers who take care of littles and it's just 
I I didn't know, right? So I click because I'd read something else by an author that I enjoyed, and I click on. It, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why is this character wearing a diaper? Is, is this what an aneurysm feels like? Because <laughs> I think. And I go back and I assess the tags, and I go, where did I go wrong? And in this case, I didn't understand the tag, but I can also miss it because, you know, tag abuse is a big problem. And, you know, people put it in the midst of 400 tags. And, uh, it, it, but even if it's in the midst of 30 tags, it's easy to miss it. It's easy to miss that, that there's adult baby in the story. So, um, anyway, <laughs> I don't know how we got off on that. Um <laughs> I don't either, but I regret all of our choices. <laughs> oh, we were talking, I was talking about authors that become a hard no because I find out they write a certain subject. And when somebody is writing a character infantilized a lot, and then you read a story of theirs that doesn't have the infantilizing, you're going to see shadows of that infantilizing in their non- see repeated themes and in, in, in my work. So it, obviously it would show up in their work too. Yeah, which of course. So if somebody is writing a character consistently in a in, you know, being abused to me abused in ABO stories, um, if they're writing them consistently being infantilized, even the stories that don't contain those elements, um, will have threads of it. And because I just don't want to read that stuff, somebody who writes who writes a lot of that kind of thing will wind up on a, a list of authors I don't read. Hard stop. Pretty damn quick. Um, I mean, I have I have very obvious themes that people that you know anybody who's read the body of my work can pick up on. Um, I have daddy issues <laughs> out the wazoo. Do you? Um, yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit here and there. Um, I'm really into competence. Uh, I like honorable characters and justice. I believe in justice. I also believe heavily in revenge. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't believe in accepting abusive situations. I've never, I've, I've never been one of those people who can say, who can just tolerate something for the sake of something else. I'm like, no, no, I'm not tolerating this so that you will be comfortable with that. No, and fuck you. I've never been that person. So it, I think that shows up a lot in my work, especially my Harry Potter work, where he was forced to tolerate a lot of shit in canon that is bullshit. Yeah. Like, I won't uh, follow through on, like, there's some themes that show up in stories that drive me crazy. Like, you know, um, leaving, having your main character leave someone in an abusive situation. Um, which is obviously so that they can make a plot point later on happen. But, you know, an honorable character, when they become aware of the abuse, tries to do something about it. They don't just go, oh, well, he'll never trust me if I stop his dad from locking him in a freezer. Um, <sighs> I'm not kidding. I want to stab people over that. So, look, if you're writing Teen Wolf and you're not getting Isaac out of that freezer, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yes, exactly. If if you've got people who know, especially if the fucking sheriff knows, you get him out of the goddamn freezer. Oh, we, we well Isaac might not trust us if we interfere. That is not the point. Okay, fine. At least he won't be in the freezer. He'll he'll get over it. Get him some therapy about his trust issues. 
I, that's just not that's not what responsible adults do when they find out that a child is being abused, especially and a freezing. sheriff. Especially a it sheriff. Make any fucking sense. Also, also, um, the sheriff helping um, Derek bite a bunch of teenagers is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Stop it. If you're getting an adult involved in, in Teen Wolf early on, there'd be, be some fucking adult decisions. Which does not include, you know, the sheriff sourcing 16-year-olds for Derek Hale to bite. That's just what is... No. <sighs> Stop it. Make better choices. It just, the only one I can see the sheriff even mildly approving of would be Erica. Because her epilepsy could kill her. And if Scott's not a werewolf, it's Scott too, because his asthma was so bad. But but I just, well, I just it, it's it's like why would you turn the sheriff, a good guy, into a werewolf pimp? Oh, that one's a loner. He'd be good for your pack. He's sixteen. What's the matter with you? You know, Noah Stalinsky, werewolf pimp. Um, Mizu, the adults are over in my story. Come visit. <laughs> I have all the adults. Uh, yes, Queen Noah would parent all over Derek. All over Derek, um, and he probably if he, he caught Peter early on, he'd probably try to help Peter too. But he would not go and find a bunch of underage kids to put, you know, in the way of Peter's teeth. I'm just saying. I may have I may have some strong feelings about this. Um, Look, if you need Derek. If you need those kids to be werewolves with Derek, then you don't need to let the sheriff know about it until they're already bitten. Yeah. Or come up with another way to get them bitten. On a bus together, they're in an accident. The only way to save these kids is they get the werewolf bite. Do something else than have... <laughs> Ellie and I Ellie and I had a total jinx moment. We ghost drifted there, Ellie. Um <laughs> Just do something different so that there's a plausible reason for why it's these kids. Um, but anyway, uh, it's just a tangent. But in terms of the topic, the, somebody, you know, it, when it comes to what, and I think the thing that's hard to explain to people is what happens. Where is the work? What is the, and, I, and I'm, I'm using air quotes when I say this, where is the magic between something that's inspiring and the actual inspiration? Between finding something like, oh, that's really beautiful, or I love that, and having the actual idea, or getting the plot bunny. And it's, Honestly, I think it happens in the discussion. You know, like Kira got a plot bunny while we were talking. And sometimes it's just going through that creative process and and talking to people. We've talked about it before. Talking to other writers is so important. It's really inspiring. But my bunny was more about how. Because I had this story idea in my head. And I was having a hard time getting my character into the right place and into the right position. And something you said kind of clicked with me. And I was like, yes, that, that's how I did, of course. <laughs> <You know? laughs> of course. That sounded very <laughs> sexual. I just want you to know. Go back to this point when you when you listen to the when you're editing the podcast, go back to two hours and fifteen minutes in, listen to that little segment. It sounded like sex. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bus to wreck and Derek has to bite the entire lacrosse team. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just 
that 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 thing between um someone pinged me a little while ago and asked me if I would ever claim art like in a reverse bang where I didn't know what the story was going to be yes yes obviously I did it both stories I wrote for this last reverse bang I didn't know what the story was going to be but I wouldn't claim art that I didn't have that oh that's inspiring moment that that feeling of that kind of bubbling creativity about it where I didn't look at it and feel I could do something with that even if I didn't know what I could do something with that um and then the but how to get from point a to point b is just it, that's the work part. It's the working it out. It's, it, am I happy with this? Talking to other writers, talking to your people. Um, I don't think I talked to anybody about Duty of the Living, though, until I was mm -hmm. done with it, basically. At least uh, not me. Yeah, that one was really under, under I kept that one under wraps a lot. Um, but I did eventually start talking to myself and, like, out loud. There is a part of... Um, you can look, look it up about the difference in how your brain processes things that you hear versus just thinking it. Um, and there's something about just talking it out that really makes a difference in in how you're processing something. So when you're stuck, just try talking. Well, I had this idea a couple of months ago about Loki ending up on Earth instead of falling into Thanos' hands. And we talked about it on the podcast for a little bit. But I was like, how how does that happen? How does that happen? How does that happen? And then you said something when you're talking about that entity. Um, creation stone? Yeah, the creation stone. And I was like, well, what if it was something else? What if it was somebody else? And then it kind of like came to me like when that, um, that it wasn't just that he fell somewhere different. That he fell through time as no. well. And I was like, okay, what if? What if when Thanos killed Loki? His mother was there. And she asks him if he's willing to go back in time to prevent what is coming. And she tells him when, when he's going to land. And he tells her he can't take that fall again. They, they can't fall into Thanos' hands again. He can't do it. And she tells him that he won't fall there. That she'll change where he falls. Um, and she does. Oh, I like and so that. You just you just... You brought it to me. You brought it to me. And now it's there. Now I got to do something with it. And that's why you got to have somebody you talk to. You got to talk this stuff out. Um, it really makes a ton of difference. Whether it's... And it, it, we've talked about... I do find it's more beneficial with other writers. I find when I tend to talk to readers about it. Um, that it... The help is often less effective and you even have to be even even amongst other writers you have to be careful but sometimes the person you gel with as your sounding board may not be a writer so it's just for me it's always a writer it always has been a writer but you may actually gel with somebody who who isn't maybe you've maybe you've had a bounce buddy for years and that's who works for you but whoever it is just when you find the people you gel with in that way stick with it go with it that is your tribe. Stay with your tribe. But on the other side of it is if you if you are trying to balance with somebody who um, constantly destroys your confidence and constantly um, picks apart your ideas to the point where you where, where you hate them, then you've not found a good m match. 
You want somebody to inspire you. And even if, like, you know, there have been times where I'm like, oh, you know, that really doesn't work for me. I don't like that. And that's fine. That, that's, okay. that, that, that's not what I'm saying. But if you have someone who never inspires you, who constantly drags you down, then you don't have a good balance partner. They're not a good match for you. Or who won't accept your no. Um, if you say, oh, that's not quite gelling with me. If they're stuck on the idea and they keep trying to push it, that's weird to me. That's that's red -letter. That's like a red flag behavior to me when I say, no, that isn't quite what I'm going for. And they keep trying to convince me of it. I'm like, why are you so invested in this? Um, that's that there. So there's warning signs when you're feeling uncomfortable. It's pay attention to it. There's probably a reason you're feeling uncomfortable. Um, I was doing some plotting with a, with a different group of people one day. Um, this wasn't super recent, um, but it was just, I had just mentioned a problem and we were, some people were helping me work it out. And um, we were, I don't know, we were way past in, in, I had progressed through because sometimes you progress through a problem. Like, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm going to handle it that way. And then the fallout, the ripple will be this and this and this. And then when this happens, okay, I'll need to change this one thing in my plot. And someone all of a sudden chimed in and they took me back to like one of the first decisions I had already made say, Oh, well you could go this way with that. It would result in this and this and this and this. And I was like, and it felt super disruptive. I'm like, why did you take me back 10 steps? And and it wasn't really even a I don't I don't even know if they thought it was a good idea. I think they were trying to be a devil's advocate or something. I, I think that was their their aim to be devil's advocate. So it just in, in I realized in that moment that that wouldn't be a good uh, plot per person for me to plot with and they have a different process because when I'm like talking like to Kira or Lady Holder or Azure or whatever or Cinna or whoever or people I anybody I plot with the devil's advocate moment is the moment when I'm on that plot point it's not to give me devil's advocate you know when I'm when I'm 10, 10, 10 plot points later and I'm like I, I can't I, I'm not going to go back and redo all this work because that's what happens right you go back 10 plot points you got to plop back from that point so it's just i've already made this decision <laughs> yeah i'm like don't take me back um been here yesterday <laughs> also um if if you're trying to seriously work so just things to you know be aware of if you're trying to seriously plot you're trying to work out an idea and, and you're with somebody who won't take your you seriously what you're trying to accomplish just step away from it because nothing can frustrate me faster than um people not respecting my writing and that's what it feels like right when yeah when when i'm trying to solve the especially when i'm in problem solving mode i got a plot hole i'm trying to fix it and you know someone is suggesting that i you know build a colony on mars and i'm like what are you talking about no one's going to space you know it just it feels so off and so i know that they're kidding and they're trying to be like lighthearted or whatever but uh, and that happens a lot with bigger groups is there's always like one person who thinks they're funny, but they're really not. And you're like, okay, well, and, then, and I'll just like check out. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, okay, thank you guys. And I'm gone because it's like, if I'm trying to work on a problem and somebody is, is making jokes and the problem is, the thing is it will devolve into jokes really quickly. And then I'm getting nothing done. So I just stop for my own sake, for my own frustration, sake of my own frustration is when it starts to become, you know, increasingly outlandish ideas and like people one-upping each other on the absurdity i just go okay that's it i will go over here 
I will go back to the ditches and get help. But um, it's just it's just important that you know when it comes to your process that you get what you need, and that if if someone makes it harder for you, that it's okay to just not not plot with them, to not bounce ideas with them. Maybe you can be a sounding board for them, but they may not be able to be a sounding board for you. You may not be compatible bi-directional. That's just the way it works sometimes. I had somebody I tried to plot plot with for a while. Everything I said, everything I said, every problem I had was, uh-huh, uh-huh, I hear you, uh-huh. I was like, did you take an effective listening course or something? Because all I all you're doing is listening. You're not, you're not actually doing anything. I applaud. That's hilarious, but terrible at the same time. I applaud your effective listening, but this is not effective helping. <laughs> it just didn't work because I, I actually, when I say sounding board, I don't literally mean my own voice bouncing back to me. I need literal help. Yeah, I need a literal help. And if it's crap, I want to know. If it's got a giant plot hole, I want to know. <laughs> but, but just, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm like, uh-huh, what? Uh-huh, good? Uh-huh, bad? Uh-huh, she's not here, you. It sounds good. No, it's a problem. There's a problem. What's the problem? She goes, it sounds fine. Hmm. I hate being told that. When I say, okay, I've got a problem, and then I tell them, then I explain my problem, and then someone tells me, oh, well, that's not a problem. Fuck you. It's a problem. <laughs> if it wasn't a problem, I wouldn't have brought it up. I'm not happy. That's my point. I'm not happy. Uh, something is not right here. And, you know, so it's just, it is a process finding people you can work with. It is, it is a process finding people who can help you take an idea from the seed to the sprout and certainly to the full-blown plant. But um, when you find those people, hold on to them. Send them cookies, coffee, whatever, to a full-grown baby tree. A full-grown baby tree. <laughs> Whatever they need to get through their day. Yeah. It's just, it is, it's such a vital part of the process is having the person you can bounce ideas off of and who can help you sound out when you're just, when you're basically right up against that tree and you cannot see where to prune it for the sake for your life. It's like, I know there's a plot hole in here. Somewhere in these branches, there's a giant hole, but I can't see it. And the person who's further away can. And stuff is not a plot hole. So sometimes you're just missing a transition, or you've um like one of the things when I first started writing Unleash Your Demons, I had a um when Tony lands in the past, um I had my plot points and I did my plot points, and then something was off. So I asked Julie to, to do an alpha because we were up at the same time in the middle of the night, because we're both weirdos. Mm -hmm. Um and um, she said, well, because I'd already, I'd written up to the scene where he had met with Obadiah Stane. And she said that I had more emotion there than I did when he landed. And then I realized that I, that I hadn't, I'd messed up the tone in that first scene with the bots. So I went back to it and I really didn't have to add much. It was just like. It was, the, a, few, it was a few sentences. That was it. It wasn't much. You're right. Yeah. You're and. Right the tone was just off. And then when I fixed that, I was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go now. 
<laughs> but I don't remember what problem you told me you had. Oh, you told me you had a pace problem. You told yeah, me I thought, yeah. Yeah, you told I, me I, you thought, had, I thought I had a pacing problem. Yeah, you told me you had a pacing problem, and I read it. And I'm like, well, I'm not seeing a pacing problem, but <laughs> this is the yeah. thing I see. Um, and so sometimes your perception of a problem is different than your actual problem. Like I told uh, when I did, when I wrote memories, I'd ask Kara for help with it. And I told her, I don't remember what problem I thought I had, but I actually had a problem of characterization. And she read it and said, well, you're, you mean, and she come back to me after, like, I felt like the silence was really long. Um, and she comes back, she goes, well, did you mean for Tony to come across this way? I'm like, no. <laughs> it wasn't Tony, it was Gibbs. Right? All, yeah, there was also, but there's also a problem with Tony because Tony took off. In the first draft, remember? He yeah. He took yeah. off. Instead of instead of going to Vance, he just left a bunch of letters and, and vanished and disappeared. And you went, yeah. what are you meaning for Tony? To I, I remember specifically the, the thing with Gibbs. And I knew she didn't mean it. No. What she was, what, what had come off. And I was like, I, I know that's not what she meant to write. So, but then I was like, how do I ask her that question? Because sometimes you you know you see something in somebody else's work that, that you know they don't intend. Um, but it can be difficult to ask them, hey, did you actually mean to make you know so and so an asshole? Because you did. <laughs> Is that what you meant to do? <laughs> did you mean for this character to become a total coward and abdicate all responsibility for their for this problem? I was like, no. No. I didn't, I didn't. I, what no and then i you know reread it and i'm like well shit well damn it back to the drawing board <laughs> but when i presented the story to her i said there's something just like i think there's something off in my plot and it wasn't plot at all it was characterization on both fronts so both problems were character problems of characterization as i had you know my my play well in a way it was plot because the choices i had made with the plot reflected really negatively on the characters because it, it is it was out of character for them to behave that way and um but my perception of it was very different and I was too close to it to see it. So, you know, I shove it in here and go, what tell me what's wrong with this? I, I feel like this is like a big problem with my plot. I tell you the silence was pregnant. <laughs> well, it's because, you know, because when someone tells you you have, you have a plot problem and, and it, when, it, when someone is Jilly who tells you you have a plot problem, you go into it thinking you're going to find a plot problem because she's a plotter and she should know if she has a plot problem, right? Except she didn't have a plot problem. No. Prot. Plot. Plot or prot. I'm tired. I had a very okay. stressful day. Don't pick on me, lady holder. Um, uh, but yeah. Yeah, but then I had that problem in um, courting Hermione Granger where I had a um, an immense shift in pace um, and took a really deep negative turn. Like, it was like a 90 degree turn, and it was just like <laughs> she was like, whoa. <laughs> well, yeah, I read it and I was like, you need to put a little buffer in between these two things. <laughs> I told her, I, said, I feel like I've been, kind of feel like I've been punched. Um, and, and, and I was trying to be really soft. I'm like, maybe that's kind of what you're you're going for. This really harsh. I said, but it, it kind of made me breathless. You know, I was trying to be really like ex share my experience of it rather than tell her what was what I perceived as a problem. I'm like, but my experience, like, it was really like I, I felt like I just needed a break <laughs> from the story. And then she put a scene in, and I reread it. I was like, oh yes. <sighs> You know, the whole Actually, I think it ended up being a whole chapter. Yeah, you did. You put a big thing in between those two events. You yeah. You broke, really broke yeah. it up. And But the way it was originally written, it was like being punched. I was like, 
Jesus. I got done with those two scenes and I was sitting there in my chair going, Jesus. Well, it went from Harry and Hermione on their honeymoon to Harry finding, um, to Harry going to her aunt and uncle's house and finding all those dead bodies. Right. So we had that, that scene at the bank, which was really difficult with the curse and everything. And mm-hmm. then, and then the dead bodies. And it was like, it was like just this one, two punch that was like, I need a breather. So that buffer chapter of them coming home and, um, settling together and his brother and all that was was not there i had not plotted that um so they went from honeymoon to harry investigating the murder of her aunt and uncle um and bringing sophie home so there was like there was nothing in between that so it was yeah and i something was wrong and i could see something was wrong with it but i was too my focus was too narrow well, she was all up in it, you know. And when you're when you're there, when you're when it's when you're right, it's right in your face. It's hard to see what's it's hard to see what's in your peripheral vision. So, um, that's why that person who's got to step back and step back and go be objective is a really vital part of the process. And um, all the potential problems I thought I might have in Duty of the Living. That's why I never needed really need alpha help because when I was looking at the only times I had moments of I called it in my author notes. I said that the story was all id because, you know, every time I thought I should rein myself in a little bit, I just went, eh, fuck it. <laughs> id. Id. My, and, and I knew what it was. I knew I was, my id was having, was on a runaway, you know, it was, it was like a runaway train, train my id, um, dealing with all the shit I don't like, you know, fleshing out magical world building and, and handling things that don't usually get handled, often don't get handled in Team Wolf Thick. And so my aunt was having a fucking field day. Let's just have a big magical court in the middle of the woods. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's going to be fairy lights and there's going to be a magical tree, baby. And there's going to be, there's going to be magical wolves. There's going to be justice. There's going to be, there's going to be people being eaten by the ground and they're going to be magically cleansed in the earth. And just, you go it just go. <laughs> have fun but i really i kept thinking i'm like i should write that i'm not kidding when i was writing i was like i should write myself in a little bit and then the other side of me go nah nah or give a fuck is go broke. all in lean into it lean in that's right it was, i'm like this is august it sucks it's hot or give a fuck is broken we're going to indulge and at one those. point she flicked that little little guy off her shoulder telling her to write it in off yes yeah, like shut up <laughs> Flicked it off. You are eternally <laughs> silenced. I am not being reined in on this. Um, <laughs> it's a great story. Thank you. Uh, so, that's the thing. That's the most important part about going from the seed to the sprout, from being inspired, from finding something inspiring to actually having an inspiration. Is the difference between them is to me, it's who you talk to most of the time. It's sitting down and talking to your peeps, talking to your community, whoever it is, and just starting to work out that idea. And sometimes it's looking at the, in the case of art or visual prompt, I spent a lot of time looking at TK's art, a lot of time going, what does this say to me? How does it make me feel? What do I want to explore in it? What elements really speak to me? You know, um, one of the first things that spoke to me in that, in that art, i be totally honest with you, Derek with a beard. I talked about it earlier, but the beard, I was like, that jumped out at me. I was like, hello, daddy. 
I, I know, right? You are going to be older in this. You're going to be a deputy. You're going to be, because I love Deputy Hale. Um, I do too. Even though Deputy Hale probably wouldn't have a beard, this Deputy Hale's gonna. Um, My favorite Deputy Hale fic is the one where Styles answers the door and thinks somebody sent him a cop stripper. Right. <laughs> Styles is back home from college. He's never met Derek before. That story is great. I cannot remember the name of it for the Fantastic. life of me. So good. Is, so I can't remember good. the name of it, but it is really good. And Styles thinks Derek is a strippergram. Um, that was that was a really good story. Uh, but I think that's it. That's whether it's whether whether it's a prompt. Um, now, like with the one sentence prompts, Kira provides art you can use, but you don't have to. And I loved that, right. like Trek Cat, even though the art that Kira did featured John Rodney, I think, right? Or did it just I feature don't John? I don't remember. I think it. I don't really. Remember. Yeah. But and it featured a panther, but I think she went somewhere else completely different with it. So, she it, the point of the one sentence prompts is to be inspired by the sentence not the art. And we've had a couple times people have, have, have taken that to heart and done it from the prompt. And that's great because they, but some people might find the, the visual more appealing and, um, but whatever it is you're trying to, to target towards, whether it's, it's a written prompt or a visual prompt or whatever, you gotta find out what that brings up for you. And just, uh, it's John, the Stargate and the, and the Black Jag. Yeah. That's beautiful art. Um, so you just got to... Me and Photo Jet, thank you. <laughs> I found that that jag. I was looking for something that just had that kind of atavistic feel, like I'm about to be eaten. Like, mm -hmm. you just feel like a predator is about to come down on you. And that was the first picture I found. I was like, okay, I just feel like I want to scroll right past that because it's kind of freaky. Um, that jaguar is about to eat someone. Yep. He certainly is. <laughs> so... Uh, but I think that. Uh, see, she scrolled past it, and I used it because that's that exactly what I want. <laughs> well, I grabbed it for you and sent you the link, but because it made me uncomfortable, I was like, "That's the one, right?" Um, I don't think jaguars funny people. Um, but it's so important to just to dig into it and find out what it says to you, what how it speaks to you. And what I'm trying, I'm doing from art. I try to do to get more from it than. Some art is just, you know, there's a pairing and there's not many other elements. But most of the time, I think there's more manipulation to art than that. The digital art that people do, there's more manipulation to it than just a couple of characters. Um, and when there, when there are more elements, just look at, the, just spend time thinking about it and what it says to you. You know, is there, is there ocean? Is there, is there a desert? Is there, you know, canyon? Is there, um, is there a Stargate? <laughs> you know, what's in the person's art and what does that say to you? And, and then just start, just start noodling on it. But if, if it appears effortless, um, I appreciate the compliment, but it most definitely isn't. It, it's a lot of work. Reverse bank. I don't remember when we did the art claims, but I've been working on that story for several months. So, um, Good work. It doesn't just drop out in a couple of days, that's for sure. And we're here to support you in your efforts to grow your craft. And if you don't want to grow your craft, why are you listening to this podcast? It's because we're sexy. <laughs> People have fetishized your age, Heather, your perceived age, haven't they? 
Our competence is sexy. Our competence is sexy. We're competent as fuck. They like to hear you say fuck and cock. That's why they tune in. <laughs> That's have, entirely possible. Have you said cock this podcast? I have not, cock. There you go. Yeah, I did earlier. I caught somebody cock tease. Oh, okay. Because I didn't like to be cock teased. Because I don't appreciate being cock teased. <laughs> did I say it enough? I'm sure someone's going to be satisfied. <laughs> Although you know it's 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 a joke, but on Blog Talk, which I'm not on anymore, obviously, but on Blog Talk, my audience was like um, seventy percent male over the age of forty, mm-hmm. and it was which lot- is ridiculous. It, it was- does not match my minion horde at all. No. So it was obviously men tuning in to listen to me talk, talk dirty. It was about it was, sex. It's, it's that little bit of southern in your accent and how old you sound and you talking dirty. That was the that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The most listened to episode on Blog Talk was the episode where I explicitly explained anal sex. <sighs> I don't even want to think about how many men jerked off to that. Oh, God. I will bet that one of the most one of the most popular was also the author commentary on Ties That Bind. Yeah, yeah. It's very popular. The Magical Butt Sex Mystery Tour, yes, as a matter of fact. Someone asked me where that came from. And where it came from is, is that I did um, a... Uh, that was from... Kind of a, P- a, a PSA on my, on my website. Because I had gotten an influx of people reading Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. And somebody, one of these charming little HP fans, said she loved it so much that she recommended it to her mama. And I was like, oh. And then she said, and then my grandma started reading it. And I went, oh, no. So I put up a PSA to let them know that if they sent their mama or their grandma to my site to make sure that they were aware not to stray from the link they'd been given. Otherwise, they might get a magical butt sex mystery tour. <laughs> and then there was also a podcast where... Um, I don't remember when this was. It was a long damn time ago uh, where it came up again on the air and mm-hmm. um, it was about soulmate bond. Somebody bitching about the rimming scene, I think. Yes. And you had said that you were going to be sure to put a butt sex mystery tour into every Harry Hermione story you write from now on. Yeah. Uh, it was just kind of like a side comment or something on that podcast, which was funny as hell. Um, and I was like, I, I'm eagerly anticipating every Harry Hermione story she writes. Well, well, Unless they're really young, we'll have a. But it, but actually, it could be the adults having the butt sex. So um, yeah, somebody's getting it in the ass. Somebody's gonna get it. We're gonna make sure that 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 you guys that you homophobes are very uncomfortable over here. <laughs> and as says, and that's when we knew it was going to fucking rain rim jobs. <laughs> Oh. Didn't Az or LH talk about getting their sister to read a slash story of yours? I don't think so. I mean, I gave my mom the link to The Awakening. That was my mother. But I did tell her she probably doesn't want to go. But although my mother reads way dirtier stuff than I than I read, so you know, whatever. She'll be fine on Kira's site. I just don't want to know about it. <laughs> 
Well, she's a fan, right? She she bought my she read my book. She read your book. She reads your book all the time. Every time she reads your book, she writes and tells me. And I usually understand exactly <laughs> what that means. That's like code for I'm having a bad day. Oh, I'm her comfort fix. That's you, so sweet. You are. You are her comfort book. So when she's having a bad day, she rereads your book. And then I hear about it. I'm rereading Kira's, Kira's book, and I'm like, "What's the matter? What's mom? wrong, Mama? That's exactly that's the way it goes. <laughs> what's, what's the matter, Mama?" <laughs> um, but she asked me about your your fan fiction. I did tell her that you know if she wanted to read something that would be completely unfamiliar to her and would read like original work, and that she wouldn't, you know, and, that you, and that she doesn't need um, any kind of fandom background to understand that she should go read The Awakening. So. Um, well, thank Hi. you. I um, her over there. I work really hard on the awakening. Well, that's another reason why. Yeah, fuck you, Sentinel fandom. The fandom <laughs> collective, of course, you know. <sighs> there are some lovely people and lovely stories in Sentinel fandom, but this is a case of where there's a few. There's when there's a loud, ugly majority, a loud, ugly minority, they can really fuck things up. I was actually in the middle of, of writing the sequel to um, um, to The Awakening when um, all that shit went down. I had it all plotted. I was like, um, I done my full plot or draft zero. What a weird thing to say. Um, just I never really thought about it that way, but it, that is that is exactly what it is. I just I just I've never really conceptually thought of it that way. I've always kind of attached that draft zero thing to script writing. Um. But I had written the first two chapters. Damn those fuckers. And, and then for like two years, I couldn't even look at it. And it isn't, I mean, I've had people say to me, you know, you shouldn't let uh, one or two bad apples or spoil it for the rest of us. And like, I wish that worked that way. I really do. I really wish that abuses from one person didn't affect you know, my, you know, my interest in writing on a story. I wish that that was true, but it's just the unfortunate reality. The thing is, is for that, it wasn't just one person. Right. But even if it was a dozen, I just, yeah, it, it, it just doesn't change. You know, sometimes it only takes one person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the wrong. But even if you can like push it away, it, it still taints your experience and makes it difficult and stresses you out. And you just, it may be a while before you get back to it. And if, and the problem is sometimes is when, and then when you go, okay, it's going to, it's going to be a while before I get back to it. And people go, well, how long? It's like, oh, stop it. And you go, okay, well, I, and then they'll go, okay, I've given you two years. Is it okay to ask you now? No. <laughs> it's not okay. It's never going to be okay. As a matter of fact, we just um, reset the clock. Go for when, when it came to that, it, it actually stopped even being about the story and about the fandom. And I'm not sure even today if I want to open myself up to the Sentinel fandom that way again. And there is a difference between the Sentinel fandom and writing Sentinel fusions and crossovers for Rough Trade. Um, writing a pure Sentinel um, story would, would bring people who don't read those crossovers back into my sphere. And I don't want them here. I don't want those four or five people who told me I ruined the last year of their awards because I won and got nominated for so many um, back in my sphere. I don't want them around. I don't want to be 
near those people who actually went out of their way to create dozens of email accounts so they could bitch at me with the same language and tone. So I know it was just four or five people, but I got like 50 or 60 emails. One of whom claimed repeatedly to be a BNF. And how I wasn't welcome in her fandom. And I didn't, she didn't like the way I had portrayed Blair. And I had, um, I had um, destroyed her awards like, like, like they belonged to her. I mean, just, it's just a whole bunch of shit. It was just, and I'm not sure if I want to open myself up to that again. Um, it's just like, My I opinion. honestly haven't even read in that fandom since. Beyond the stories that I had already read before, I have not picked up a new Sentinel story since. I don't think I, I've read a new Sentinel story outside of Fusions. Outside of Fusions, and it's in a long, long time. A long, long time. Um, I mean, I've definitely read some stories that are more Jim and Blair focused, but they're still crossovers or Fusions. They're not pure you know they're not pure sentinel I, I can't think of the last time i heard a pure sentinel story it, it's been and honestly i my opinion of anybody starts off low when they feel the need to come into a conversation flinging their um their supposed status bnfness yeah <laughs> well i'm a bnf well don't don't tell me you're a bnf i haven't heard of you you can't possibly be so shut up I said, by the way, you know something? T fucking Township has BNFs. So, um, <laughs> clearly, clearly it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. Right? <laughs> so, it's like, clearly it doesn't mean anything. If Township can have BNFs, it's not a particularly noteworthy status. <clears throat> but Being a yeah, BNF like is stupid. Okay? It is utterly stupid. Being called a... What was it? What did they call me? standard bearer i laugh that at is I, horrifying i i still <laughs> laugh at that i just whenever when i read it when i well when i read it i saw it in the group i was so my mouth fell open i gasped i actually put my hand over my mouth like like i had just seen the most scandalous thing ever and i was like <laughs> poor kira and then i laughed and, and, and then i laughed and i haven't stopped being amused by that because it is like the most atrocious thing i've ever seen done to somebody in fandom is putting that on them i was like oh yeah, God. someone they did they did not mean it to be insulting at all. They were praising me. They were um, letting me know how much they enjoyed my work. Um, so it was not an insult by any means, um, in their mind or in their words. But um, he said that I was a standard bearer for the harmony pairing in Harry Potter, um, and harmony being Harry Hermione. I just about died. It was just <laughs> well, you Karen and I were talking in, in in bitches. She said, "Is this worse than being a big name fan?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, this is way worse." <laughs> because now you have been like you've been like cast as like I don't know for for a ship for an entire ship. It's like somebody's saying that that you set the bar for an entire ship. I mean, how fucked up is that? And honestly, if I wanted to set a bar for a ship, it'd be McKay Shepard. 
But I'm not even going to say who set that bar because that would be pretty near in the position that I got put into and I wouldn't do that. But somebody set that bar before I ever stepped foot in fandom. <clears throat> well, but, okay, so about the BNF thing. Um, the big name fan thing, it's, um, what bothers me about it is it, it it's almost like some sort of artificial celebrity thing in fandom. Um, and I just, and it, I just, that's the part that's dumb to me, right? I, it's, I don't have a problem with people having a lot of respect for, for Kira. That's just, I, I do. Uh, but I look at it more as um, she takes a very mentorly role with new writers. She gives a lot back to fandom. She gives a lot to back to, to the writing community. She does a lot to help encourage and, and bring people along. Um, she spends a lot of her own money to do the things she does for fandom. And I really, uh, that's not big name fanish stuff that I, I look to her for. It, it's, it's that she's an exceptional writer and a great mentor and a good friend. So there are, there are a lot of things there um, that are admirable, that are noteworthy, that I see her as a leader on. And it, and it's not because um, she's a very popular writer. It is a that, popularity contest and I've always hated those. Yeah. And it's not because she's bearing standards. So yeah. I don't, I, I find the big name fan thing often to be artificial. And I found a lot of times, especially in the Harry Potter fandom, that the whole the fan that the authors perceived as the big name fans are um it feels it feels contrived, almost self-created. Weird. Um, you know what was the most interesting thing? Someone someone put out a um uh, there was somebody on this group I belong to on Facebook and um they had seen a new story go up on AO3 or fanfiction.net and they posted a link for it. Said it's great. I haven't read it yet, but it's 100K or something like that. They they, they attached quality to the links. Are you Just, okay over there? No. No. <laughs> I opened and closed my mouth at least four times. I, <laughs> it's great. It's a million words. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't click on it, so I have no idea if it was good or not, right? Because I was just like, really? Yeah. That's, and also, I'm going to probably get some hate mail about this, but to me, the, the two sentences, it's great, it's a million words, are in contradiction. Because a great story wouldn't be a million words. Or 500,000. It just wouldn't be. It just wouldn't be that, that that those things don't go together. And, and I'm sure there are some works that are very entertaining. Would they be better if they fell into, into um, if they had better craft? Yes, absolutely. Because there's no way 500,000 words has reasonable pace um, or, or a good narrative structure or anything like that. So it, it, when there are inherent flaws in the in the in the structure and in the fundamentals, I I think you have to just take the word "great" as a descriptor off the table. Okay, um, I have some big fix. I have some big series works. Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is over three hundred k, but it is not one novel. It is a series of episode or basically novellas. Right. But when you're getting into, if you had had a single novel, a single piece of that be 500,000 words, well, for starters, I'd be investigating, looking for pods, 
Then, right. checking for, then for checking for head injuries. Because I don't series work, multiple novels. Yeah, you can get up into millions of words. I've seen author pro authors have done it, right? How long do you think in words is the in-depth series, right? Well, she's about to put out book 50. Yeah, so that's and they're the, averaging 55k a piece. So that's a lot of words. Don't make me math. Um I'll math. But, Actually, I will calculate with a calculator because that asshole in junior highs it told me that I couldn't have a calculator with me wherever I went was wrong. Totally wrong. Um but when when you got a single work that's five hundred thousand words, um, it, I I just she's don't think approaching two million seven hundred and fifty. Okay. And that's, that makes total sense when you're doing series work. It can get really long. But when a single work is hundreds of thousands, I'd say 300,000 is my cap that I'm even willing to read in a single work. And that's pushing it. I'm wondering why this isn't two works or three, but whatever. Um, and usually you will find that it actually is two or three works. And I don't exactly. You will see the narrative structure go from beginning, middle, you'll, you'll have your climax, you'll have your falling action, and then it will begin again. Um, and, and I... You'll see it over and over and over again in these big works, because they've absorbed the novel structure. They're just not utilizing it. Right. And I don't exempt my... I talked to you before. I don't exempt my own works from my own criticism. Um, Emergence is t two and a quarter stories. Um, yeah, Emergence probably is a little bit too long. Yeah, I think um, uh, unspeakable plot would work better as episodes, which is what I, I in intend yeah. to do with it when I split it up. So you get sometimes some stories, you know, you just they are it is what it is, you know. But I I know my own flaws, and one of the reasons why somebody asked me once because I said uh, I said on the air once that I um, knew the flaws in my own story in that story, and they asked me if I would ever like pull it apart like on the air and it's not and my answer is no but my answer is no probably not for the reason they think um and i just said no i just said no because the whole conversation at the time was inappropriate but i just said no but the reason is because not because i'm not willing because i've done it before i've picked out things that are wrong with that story but the reason i don't dissect it and tear it apart is because i think it would ruin it for people who really enjoy it and why would i do that to you Mizuzetretka has a really long Harry Potter story. The Marauder's Plan is not one story. If you look at the Marauder's Plan and how it's split up, it is split up into novels. She's posted it all in one big um, project on fanfiction.net, but it is actually three or four novels. And it is structured that way. If you open up the chapter tabs, you can see how she structured the novels. So it's not just one work. So, um, but holy shit, that spider's big. But fanfiction.net doesn't let you connect series work together, which is why she posted it the way she did, I believe. What'd you do? Sorry, this enormous spider just walked across the room. Are you okay? I just have the five and a little did bit of my heart. No, it's, 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 it's a good it, 10 feet. It's a good 10 feet away from me, but I just. Did it come down off that building? <laughs> it probably did. Um, whew. Um, oh my god, it disappeared. That's even worse. <laughs> no, I don't know where it went. Okay, I'll put my feet up. My sister is out of town. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, but that 
<laughs> the cursed parking lot. Um, but yeah, no, the reason why I don't, I'll tell you, remind me to tell you about the cursed parking lot. Um, the reason why I don't tear apart the story is because I could sit down and do it with Kira and Lady Holder uh, because it's not going to affect them one way or the other, right? But there are some people who, if I pointed out all the flaws, they would then see those flaws every time they read it. And because I'm not planning on sitting down and doing a big edit on that story anytime soon, I just I don't see any point in mucking muck with people's enjoyment of it. Well, um, I guess there's, there's no point in ruining it for them. I mean, right, exactly. Why would I do that? So, I mean, I guess I could um, do a podcast, you know, with with a disclaimer. If you want to meet a, you know, ruin emergence for you, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people wouldn't be able to help themselves, and then they would get mad at you. Right, they would. They would. So, uh, and so I just wouldn't do that. But I am aware of the. You know, I somebody sent me a detailed list of all the problems with, with a story one time, and I said, "Yeah, you're right. I knew that." She, well, if you knew it, why didn't you? If fix someone it? sent me that, I would tell them to kiss my ass. I wouldn't validate them. You're a better person than me. Well, I didn't. Well, there was a little bit of hostility in that, but one of the things I did say to them, I said, "You, I said, you, you, you pointed all this stuff out to me, like you think I don't already know it, as if you're giving me some enlightenment." And I'm curious why you think I don't know. Thank you for your non-consensual beta. Oh, wait. I don't thank you. Fuck you and your eyeball. Yeah. Have a good day. The cursed parking lot. I had to tell you. So, I am... The, the, the parking lot, the, the shopping center where the Goodwill is with the enormous spider on the roof that traumatizes me every time I get off the bridge. Okay? So, we, I've talked about that on another podcast. That also happens to be where Carl's Jr. is, which is my favorite place to get a chicken sandwich when I'm busy on my way home, right? So I kind of try not to look at the big spider and go to Carl's Jr. So I go to Carl's Jr. I'm in the drive-thru, get my chicken sandwich, right? They have me my food. We did a weird little thing where I'm stuffing my, you know, I've got taking too many things at once. I'm stuffing my money back into my wallet and I'm reaching out for my drink because he says, here's your drink. And I reach out, I've got my hand on it and I look up to make sure I've got a good grip on it. And Pennywise is staring at me oh. and I screeched and I retracted my hand and dropped the lemonade. And I was like, ah, and dropped it. He was like, what? I was like, what the fuck was that? And he said, what? I said, did you just hand me a clown? He says, oh, yeah, we're doing a big promo for It, come, it, it Chapter 2. And I was like, oh, my God, what is the matter with you? And I just like, I just lost my mind. He was like, what? I go, don't you people know that clown phobia is a thing? You don't just surprise people with Pennywise. Did, did they have a cup without Pennywise on it? No. They gave me two mediums instead of a large. I was like, oh, okay. But I mean, Pennywise. There is no way in hell I would take that cup because, you know, not only do clowns freak me out and make me uncomfortable and actually kind of make me mad, but it's, but clep, but Pennywise specifically is really, it, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. Because Stephen King is fucked up. How can Stephen King go, you know what? You know what's worse than a clown? A clown that turns into a giant spider. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so if if you're not freaked out about clowns, okay, and you Google Carl's Jr. Pennywise Cup, you can see 
the one the one that has Pennywise's face on it is the one the guy handed me. Okay, um, but if you are freaked out by Pennywise, don't Google that shit. But yeah, so now I'm just calling that whole parking lot the cursed parking lot because there's Pennywise <laughs> and a giant fucking spider in the same parking lot, the same goddamn parking lot. I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to go to Carl's Jr. till next year. Where am I gonna well, get my chicken that, sandwich? Surely that thing won't be. Well, I don't know. I mean, the movie doesn't even come out until, I don't know, like the end of the month or something. So I don't know how long they're going to have these fucking cups. But what am I going to do, Carl? Are you guys out of the Pennywise cups yet? I just need to, I just need to know. So does the medium drink not have Pennywise on them? It's just the large plastic cup. Uh, well, I guess you know what you're going to have to do then. You're going to have to get the medium drink, which sucks. The only fucking restaurant around here, too, that has the large, that has the light lemonade, which is the low-calorie Minute Maid lemonade, which is really good. I love the light lemonade. I get it. Um, if you can find a place that has that Coke machine. Uh-huh. It'd have the like light the, lemonade? Yeah. McDonald's and McDonald's. Most of them do. Well, McDonald's in California all had the light lemonade, but the ones up, up here in Oregon don't, so it's like. But then I found out Carl's Jr. had it, so I was going to Carl's Jr. all the time, and I was bearing up with the fucking spider. But now there's Pennywise and the spider, and I was just like, "It's like it's it's like the fates don't want me in this parking lot." So fine, fine. But yeah, the poor the poor guy. I screamed, dropped the cup. <laughs> like this is the kind of fucked up week I've been having. Because who had, and he had it, he had it turned perfectly that Pennywise was just looking right at me. And I was just like, ah! <laughs> Except I really did scream and I have a very piercing scream. He scared the crap out of me. I mean, he, the worst, the only thing he could have done worse would have been drop a spider on my hand or something. Well, in his defense, you probably also scared the shit out of him. Well, I did. I did scare him. He freaked, he was freaked out. The manager comes bustling over and I'm like, how could you hand me a clown cup? I was just, I was so upset. So Reaper looked up the cup. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Google at your own risk, people. Really, truly. It is. And, and if you have a clown issue, uh, this is your PSA. Don't go to Carl's Jr. Because <laughs> that cup is everywhere. I don't know why we had to have a part two. I don't know why we had to have a part one. Did we need a remake of that movie? No. We did not. The, the miniseries was bad enough. I think the miniseries is responsible for most people's clown phobia in our age group. Yeah, exactly. But I have a phobia. Clowns just make me uncomfortable and piss me off. It's just, ugh. no, no. It's terrible. So that's been, my week has just been all kinds of, so if I believed in the whole muse thing, I would go, oh, my muse isn't talking to me. <laughs> no, it's happened. Pennywise murdered my muse. <laughs> That's what happened. Except I don't have muse. So I don't believe in that. But if I did, <laughs> I would say that Pennywise like ritually sacrificed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I had a muse, I don't have one. I just don't subscribe to that whole thing. I I like taking credit. I just like I, I just well. heard you say that basically to the tune of "If I only had a brain." <laughs> if I. Oh. Anyways, it's one o'clock in the morning, and I have to do grocery shopping tomorrow. So I guess we're going to um, let you go. Um, unless right. anybody has any specific questions on the topic, because I'm willing to answer them. Julia's too, probably. Yeah, if, if, if there's a question about this whole thing, 
just yeah, definitely chime in now. Otherwise, we're both gonna. Well, she's gonna go to bed. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Well, I'm out of tea too, so I have issues over here. There's that. There's that tragedy too. My water, my glass has been empty for like an hour now. Yeah, I'm about the same. About the same. About the same. I'm about a 16 ounces an hour person, so when we get into three hour podcasts, you know, <laughs> I'm staring at my cup, going, "Huh, I need, I need to get a 64 ounce, or that's what I need to do." People so are typing. I'm not sure if they have. Yeah, they're all though. typing. Yeah, there's some typing going on. Oh, I was going to tell you while we were here, while they're typing, while they're typing and we're waiting. This is usually more of a a start of the podcast kind of thing, but um, put at the end. You drink a lot, you pee a lot, Queenie. That's right. <laughs> we're up to about 58 signups on the Quantum Bang. Awesome. Yeah. How many did we have last year? Um... It was a little bit hard to calculate because I didn't, I'd have to open up the actual spreadsheet, but it was like a hundred and hmm. it was well over a hundred on the authors alone. And then the artist was like another 40 or something, but there was some crossover there. So I think it was like 117 or 120 something. But we had 28 cross the fishing line, fish, 20, 28. Yeah, no, it was like 26 because one person had two. So 20, 27, oh. 27 people. Okay. We had one okay. person who had two. Okay. 28 stories. Which is not bad. It's kind of startling, actually. We had almost 2 million words. Yeah. A, a lot of fic. Okay. I don't think anybody had any any, any questions. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll catch you guys later. Say goodnight, Julie. Night, everyone. <laughs>